Pops. where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. Jaeger, Jaeger, I thought his name was Jaeger, as in U.S. Air Force legend Chuck Jaeger, the man who broke the sound barrier for the first time. Jaeger, not Jaeger Meister, come on, I know a lot of you guys at college campuses are listening and you know what I'm talking about, but his name is Jaeger, that's right, I'm talking about Star Wars Resistance more information about the upcoming Lucasfilm animated series was revealed this week via a promotional video and uh, in the video it's revealed that the character goes by the name Yeager even though it's spelled the same as Chuck Yeager's spelling oh well well there, there goes that theory that the uh, no, they, you know what I don't think so I think the character still can be a tribute to Chuck Yeager, even if they do call him Yeager. Yeager was a pilot for the Rebellion. Now he's just trying to live his life as mainly a mechanic on this installation in the middle of nowhere. The character Jarek Yeager. See, I still want to call him Yeager. I can't. I'll, I'll get used to it soon enough. Hey, thanks for joining us this week on Rebel Force Radio for the week of... Uh, this is for Friday, August 31st, 2018. Countdown to Star Wars Resistance is happening. And uh, Jason Swank, he couldn't be here with us this week. Sort of like Nuke Gunray. He's not in this episode. But we do have an old friend joining us in his place. And I'm talking about our man from London, Mr. Paul Bateman. <laughs> hey! <laughs> hey, Paul. Now, Hi, Paul, everybody. Hey, it's so great to have you back on Rebel Force Radio. We've... um been uh, at least I've been struggling to uh, schedule my time so we could do a Star Wars influences. I yeah. see all you people online asking Paul, "Hey, what about Star Wars influences? What about it?" <laughs> and uh, I, I got to be honest with you, the, it's all on me. I'm the one who's been sort of dragging his feet about. It. It's been a busy summer, folks. It's been a real busy summer, and uh, so I had the opportunity to have Paul on the regular Rebel Force Radio this week. And so I jumped at that opportunity. I said, hey, forget influences. Forget it altogether. We are going to have a good old time talking Star Wars on the main show. And, and Paul, it's been a while since we've had you on. There's been so much revealed. Obviously, a lot of people are talking about Star Wars Resistance. Mm. Um, I don't feel like we dug deep enough under the surface of Solo, a Star Wars story. So, no. you know, so that's obviously something I'm going to want to talk about on this show a little bit and, and add a little Star Wars Influences vibe to uh, this episode. Uh, we're going to review the Art of Solo book. I have it right here. The Art of Solo, awesome hardcover, written by Phil Zostak. 
Zostak. And uh, it's a really great book featuring tons of incredible production art, concept art, and design for Solo, A Star Wars Story. So we're going to dig deep into that, and we're going to have a friend of mine join us for that review later in the show. Um, What would you think if I told you someone saw Solo in the theaters over 20 times? I'd say they were a lot less busy than I am. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to have seen it 20 times, though. I totally would have done that. And uh, been wicked. She, she, she's probably uh, among the most hardcore fans of Solo, a Star Wars story. And she'll be joining us later on in cool. the show. And, uh, of course, there's been big casting news this week regarding Episode Nine, which is uh, the only Star Wars movie going in front of cameras this year, <laughs> thankfully. But we it's also have... Now. What's that, Paul? It's bizarre that that is an unusual thing now. You know, like, oh, we're only getting, we're only getting one this year. Only one. But it's too, too strange. <laughs> but I, I think as, uh, as the year goes on, there's going to be plenty of other Star Wars in front of the camera, the TV camera, that is, with mm. uh, the live-action show uh, going into production. I, I would imagine it's going into, uh, 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 in front of the cameras later this year or early next year. Do we know, Paul? When they're going to start up that series? I think they're they're in pre-production now, aren't they? I mean, there's a lot going on. I'm hearing rehearsals and such like, which normally means they're, they're you know it won't take them long bit before they start filming. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I would think this year, yeah, yeah. So yeah, later this year we're, we're talking ten full episodes. So you probably ten. think they... it's crazy, isn't it? I remember I remember when the only shows that had ten episodes a season were all from Britain. You know, America, American shows were always 28, you know, 25 episodes or something, weren't they? Yeah. You know, so it's, it's strangely short, short seasons. But if they're, uh, if they're ex- as expensive as they're going to be, I'm still trying to figure out what I should expect from it. You know, when the, the budget for the whole season is reputedly, did they say 100 million for 10 episodes or something like that? Yeah. But, um, but now we're hearing maybe that figure's way off and that was just a guess. So, Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, a while or an mm. estimate, you know, at the very least. Mm. But you know, as as the season goes on, they'll probably be planning something for a big uh, season finale, mm. which would mm. probably drive up the uh, the price per show. Um, you, oh, you, man, you know, I can't wait for it. Can you imagine working at a live action TV show? It's so cool. It's really hard to wrap my mind around because I've been thinking mm. about it for years now. Let's just face mm. it. I've been thinking mm-hmm. about this for years. George Lucas first mentioned the concept of a live action show at Star Wars Celebration 3 back in, you know, 2005. Yeah. So Bonkers. Bonkers, isn't it? Obviously, it's been something that's, that's you know, been at the forefront of a lot of fans' minds. Over the last couple, uh, over the last decade, let's just say so. It'll it'll be really odd if you know if we start getting these, um, if we start getting two parters or three parters, and it starts feeling like a like a full movie. You know, if we get get arcs that are kind of pretty tight like that, it'll be strange to kind of go from just having a handful of Blu-rays on your on your deck to suddenly having hundreds of them. You know, <laughs> you know, it'd be amazing. I'd love I'd love to think that they could do a live action show that's so popular that it immediately spins off into something else and before you know it we've got like three shows running at once because i think i think judging from how disney's handled the film side of things mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise me at all if they were like super keen to get more than one show going I mean, if, if one's a hit i'm sure they'll just immediately jump on something else yeah, i think bob Iger, yeah. in one of his earnings calls he does <laughs> for investors mm. I, I think bob Iger mentioned that there were multiple television yeah. series but he oh. could have been thinking 
a combination of live action and animated. Mm. But uh, you don't know. You just don't know. I, I, I think yeah. it, it would be odd for them to announce a second live action show without testing the waters first with, mm. you know, with their initial offering on TV. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of feel as though it's one of those things where you can look at something like Star Trek and just kind of go, well, there have been plenty of occasions where they had two shows running simultaneously, haven't they? They overlapped quite a bit. So I guess I'd look at that and kind of say, well, that made money back then. And this is Star Wars. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's see Star Wars as being the big earner despite the little blip we've had with Solo, you know. I think yeah, yeah. Every, everybody's expecting to start raking in off a TV show. And I think, I don't know. I, I find myself, do you watch a lot of TV, do you mean? I don't. I really well, don't. I, I watch very limited amounts of television, mm. as a matter of fact. I, I, mean, I, I, I watch I, morning I, news shows. I watch, yeah. I leave the TV on while the Price is Right is on. Mm. And that's become a real guilty <laughs> pleasure for me. I actually find myself yelling and screaming right. at the TV <laughs> at 10 o'clock in the morning like it's the Super Bowl or something. But... <laughs> You know, um, right? And I play along at home sometimes too. When yeah. I'm when I'm actually paying attention to it, a lot of the times uh-huh. it's just on in the background, and I'm going about my business. But mm. uh, and I watch a lot of sports, but I don't mm. really watch much television, like series. The rest of my yeah. family certainly do. They watch everything, but oh, me I watch tons, man. Tons. No, I don't. I, I mean, I, I just kind of feel like it's a real golden age for television at the minute. So I think that, you know, I'm sure if George was still involved in Star Wars, he probably would have got this happening even sooner by now. I'm sure his version of Love Action Show probably would have been running by now if he was still kind of holding the reins, I think. So, you know, I I feel really excited about it just in terms of, I often think like, you know, I watch a movie these days and uh, two hours just isn't really enough. I kind of feel by the end of those two hours, I've barely got to get to know the characters and even though it might be, it might be full of spectacle and it might be full of stuff that, that's exciting to me. I always feel like I've got part of a story, whereas these, these TV shows now that burn through sort of 10 episodes and, and often release them within weeks of each other, you know, it, I, I just, there's just something really satisfying about the way that those story arcs can kind of expand and, and get really, really deep. I mean, you, you guys don't check out Game of Thrones or anything yet, do you? No, Swank has watched it a little bit, but I... Uh... It is it it is very Moorish, you know. Like once you get going, it's one of those shows where you'll you'll end up watching a season at a time, like in a blink. You know, you'll just get you know you'll crack into it, and it is really satisfying. It is one of those stories where where things happen. You know, you know, you, it sounds silly, but you know, how many shows did you used to watch in the seventies and eighties where you could just pick it up anywhere and everything's the same? Right. You know, like certainly like the early treks and stuff like that. But with Game of Thrones, you never know who's going to die. You never know go what's going to happen. And and that's very addictive. So I'd love I'd love to think that a Star Wars show could be that. Back in the uh, pre Netflix you know, days, surprising. Yeah, you know, I, I used to enjoy HBO shows a lot, mm. like The yeah. Sopranos and um, yeah, you know all those shows. Um, but uh, th- this was prior to the age of Netflix, mm. and so I would watch serial television with my wife and stuff and she'd be like, Oh, we have to watch ER. We have to watch ER every week. She would say that. And every week ER would have a beginning, a middle and an end where nothing happened. There was nothing of consequence to any of the characters or they would just drag out these storylines for seasons, full seasons at a time, two seasons Mm. where nothing would happen until like the last episode of the season. Mm. And, I found that to be very frustrating. So that's why I like dramas that are on AMC or Netflix, 
uh, mm. because there actually things actually do happen. And also, you yeah. know, HBO, of course, standing strong with with Game of Thrones, like you said. And that's mm. definitely a show where I mean, people have had absolute meltdowns about multiple <laughs> favorite characters getting wiped out at the beginning yeah. of the show. It's kind of like the Last Jedi, <laughs> you know. It's like people <laughs> come out of the Last Jedi all upset. Princess Leia, Admiral Akbar, all your favorites. <laughs> They're all dead. They're all gone. Uh, but, but so, you know, but I like that. I like that in drama. I like the stakes to be really mm-hmm. high, and I like it where characters are not invulnerable. And, no. uh, and, and so I, I think that adds to a lot of the drama. And I, I think we'll be seeing that with the new Star Wars series that only lasts 10 episodes. I think it'll be a show that will be for adults. When I say for adults, I mean that it will be, I think it'll be something that the entire family will be able to enjoy, but it won't Mm. be family programming necessarily. You know, I think that there will be an edge to it that will Mm. make it attractive to adults if they're spending all that money on it. I absolutely would love, I mean, like, I I know you guys didn't really kind of get hooked into Babylon 5, did you, back when it came out? Nope. And I'm sure there are lots of kids out there who weren't even born when Babylon 5 came out. And I think that, for me, that was super impactful just purely because before Babylon 5 came along, all we really had in terms of kind of quality sci-fi TV was was the old Trek. And that did become one of those shows where you knew that probably everybody was going to be fine at the end of the episode. And you could probably arrange all the episodes in a different order. And mostly it would just, you know, it could all have taken place, you know, like the week before. But Babylon 5, when that came out, he tried to really... The, the reason why I respect that show so much is that despite the fact that they clearly had a fraction of the budget of Trek or Star Wars or anything like that, they had peanuts to work with, but they didn't let it get in the way of their storytelling. And they told these huge epic stories about the birth of the universe and the end mm-hmm. of the universe and all this stuff, you know, finding giant buried spaceships and all that. And the CG really was just fledgling stuff and it really wasn't up to it and if you look at it now i mean any kid now would look at it and just kind of go what is this Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. but i think if you if you entered into it it was one of those stories that was really kind of captivating and it it did that kind of stuff where one of the big arcs was that the bad guys turned out to be the good guys and the good guys turned out to be the bad guys and that the bad guys were essentially spoiler (laughs) but it changed it changed so many times that you know this is not like a an end game but but, you know, the, the bad guys were kind of like trying to make the, you know, get the the main characters kind of strong enough to cope with a future threat by basically kind of putting them through hell. So they were kind of like training them up to be ready for the invasion, you know, that was on its way. So that was a big twist. And, you know, those kind of those kind of it almost felt like Lord of the Rings in outer space, you know, so you could kind of overlook the fact that there were, was the occasional filler episode just because it had this ambitious arc and what i'd like from the new star wars shows or at least one of them is to feel like we're getting something that's really got some meat on its bones as far as story goes because i feel like what i don't want is a show that feels like they're figuring it out as they go along mm. you know and, and i know that a lot of people can be complaining about the, the feeling you know getting that feeling a little bit on the new movies just purely because clearly that's exactly what they're doing yeah right um that they don't have an overall arc figured out um, but you know, it would be great to sort of like feel like the story's really going somewhere, and that there's really, you know, there are some really built-in questions that really kind of intrigue you, and mysteries, and all the kind of stuff that great stories have, you know. And I, f- I feel like we're a bit lacking in that at the minute with Star Wars. I'd love to, you know, kind of 
explore some of the stuff in Star Wars that we, we don't know a lot about, you know, perhaps um, find out a little bit more about, uh, you know, how the Jedi started or, or, you know, the nature of the Sith and all this kind of stuff. You know, I'd love them to kind of really dig deep, you know. I mean, in a way, it's a bit like, I know, I know when we've chatted to Jason before about Star Wars in, in, uh, in the expanded universe, Jason's got often complained about the fact that, it seems to him, and it does to me too sometimes. Uh, but the just the books sometimes they just feel like the wrong place for Star Wars because it's so much about action and visuals um, that it tends to kind of get bogged down in details in in books, and that's not really what Star Wars is kind of about. But on TV, it could be both, couldn't it? I mean, it could give us what we get from the movie, but we could we could also kind of dig into real kind of novel level kind of. Um, you know, digging over the details, so it could be it could be really like informative and expansive. And I know we've had co- you know we've had animated shows for a long time and stuff, but I, I expect the live action show to be something very very different from that. Think, well, uh, let me ask you a question about the live action show, and this is something we've been mm. speculating a lot. Is uh, how are they going to roll it out? Do you think? Do you think we're going to get all ten episodes at once for a hardcore mm-hmm. weekend of binging, or is this going to be something that? They're going to roll out gradually, one episode a week. Yeah, think? I think with the with the budget being what it is, I imagine that they'll do it one a one a week, just purely just to get that advertising revenue in. You know, so I think I think they'll go they'll go for that. I, I, I think it'll be a slow release. You know, I, I imagine that's the approach they'll have to take, really, because if they, if they did just kind of drop them all out there, I think, you know, then. Uh, they wouldn't be able to make as much money off it. I don't think so. I mean, all I really hope for is I hope that the focus when it comes to, you know, what they put their money on, I, I, I hope that the focus is finding the best proven writers they can. I want this to be the best written stories we've, you know, we've, we've encountered in years. I want it to be brilliantly written, you know, and that's, they can make that happen. You know, they can, they can just go to the most, consistently successful talented imaginative you know award-winning writers that there are out there and and that that for me would be step one is make sure this is written by the best people that they can find you know and i think that because that we're not talking about movie budgets i don't think we can expect it to look like uh regular stars all the time in as much as you know loads and loads of space sequences and stuff like that but i think you know, you look at stuff like Battlestar Galactica, which you know most of us were crazy about and stuff. You know, and I think that visually they pulled off an enormous amount for the money that they had. Um, so I think, provided they they're not planet hopping all the time, I think we can expect it to feel like one of the Star Wars movies. You know, but I think you know, for my money, it would be like investing really, really fantastic actors and really, really good writers. Right. Um, well, we want good writers, sure that we obviously. Have something that we adore, you know. It's not enough for it to just have Star Wars stuck on it. You know, it needs it <laughs> needs sure to be good in its own right, you know. Yeah, you're you're not setting um, your expectations too high. Using words like adore, it, this better be something we adore. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> no, I, I appreciate I, your standards. I, I, I Don't get me wrong. To, uh, you know. Don't I get be me there wrong. for it, you know. And I, I mean, there is such a deluge of content now. Yeah. It's like, you know, I want, I want it to be, the, you know, as successful as it can be. Well, let's talk you know, about the people who be... are working on the TV show. We know John Favreau certainly is working on it. Mm. And on August seventeenth, yeah. John posted a very curious photograph up on Facebook. It's a picture of John along with mm. the man in the hat, Dave Filoni, standing in front of the main house at Skywalker mm. Ranch, and the caption simply reads. Enjoying a day at the ranch with Dave Filoni. Now, yeah. 
we, we could jump to many conclusions about this. Um, Mm-hmm. Did they, uh, you know, Dave, obviously, he go, he's no stranger to Skywalker Ranch, goes there all the time to work on animated projects, what have you, or even occasionally offering some of his expertise to the uh, filmmaking crews who are working on the Star Wars films when they mm-hmm. decide to gather up at Skywalker Ranch. Um, John Favreau at Skywalker Ranch. Why would he be there? Well, obviously, they're developing this live-action TV show. So you mentioned they're... Most likely are rehearsals going on, and some of those rehearsals could be taking place in front of green screen over in, uh, in, in the uh, studios there at, uh, in the tech building. There could be some things going on there or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, even some, uh, some, some sort of uh, conference, story conferences could be happening at Skywalker Ranch. So mm-hmm. uh, you have Favreau and Filoni standing there. Now, they could have just bumped into each other, right? Outside of the yeah. main house. Hey, no, let's take a no. Uh, they're there together. Mm-hmm. It says, enjoying a day at the ranch with Dave Filoni. So he's mm-hmm. with Filoni. So what kind of assumptions can we draw out of this picture? Why <laughs> are they there ones. together? Yeah, massive ones. <laughs> I think Dave Filoni, and, and we've, we've been playing a guessing game as far as this goes, but I, yeah. I think Dave has a solid and legitimate role as, on the creative team for the live action show. And, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I kind of think like you've only got to look at all the pictures that get released. And it, as much as anything, it's kind of what do they never do? You know, and they very rarely put out official photographs like this, do they? You know, they're very, it's a very unusual thing. It's normally like, look at us all doing a reading. Right. Look at us, look at us you know, um, announcing the casting of a new film. Look at us, blah, blah, blah. And for my money, it's just like, look, these two guys are working together. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like a total no-brainer. And I mean, especially given the cl- current climate where fandom is clearly divided and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of negativity out there. And Star Wars could very definitely do with an injection of positivity in uh, every way it can get it. You know, and I think like just seeing John and David together outside Skywalker Ranch, I think it puts a lot of fans into hyperdrive when it comes to... Uh, feeling excited about the future of Star Wars. And, and for my money, I mean, I used to work as an animation director for an educational software company years ago before it kind of really got state-of-the-art. And um, I, for, for a long time, I've been saying, like, Dave should be directing live action just purely because I think the skill set is essentially the same, um, especially when you work in as, as much as Dave has done where he's dealing with actors and he's, he's you know, he's people mistakenly think it's got no, nothing in common with directing live action, but it's, there's actually a lot. I mean, he's still working with actors and he's, and when he's working with animators, he's getting their performances, right. Even though they're not sort of standing there acting in front of a camera, he's getting them to perform with the animation. And it's a very similar process. Well, that, that and, part uh, is, yeah, but I mean, there's a lot yeah. of headaches that uh, guys in that director's chair have to deal with that are, are very uncommon in the animated world and uh you know just jimmy like what like oh just having to manage all the people and all the unpredictability and Uh all you know having to improvise because uh uh, an animal that was trained to be on set isn't acting the way it's supposed to i mean there's a million different things Mm -hmm. that could happen in live action that you would never account they Mm -hmm. could never account for in in animation and so then 
and, and when you're you know, dealing you, with you, you know hundreds of millions of dollars in budget mm-hmm. on the line, it's 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 a rocky then, thing, you know. In animation, though, you tend to find that like an animation director, you know, although obviously they have assistance and help and stuff like that, they're pretty much on their own when it comes to a certain you know portion of the work. Whereas whereas the director on set, you know, they had, they'll probably have four assistant directors for a start. So all the stuff you're talking about can literally be dealt with by the ads. So you know, I mean, all the like, why isn't this here? And all the this needs to make you know this needs to happen by X. That's not the guy in the chair or the gal in the chair directing. They don't necessarily need to worry about any of that. It's just, it's the same in terms of like, okay, what I've got in front of me. Um, but in terms of getting it all to happen, you know, they have a whole squad of people helping them. They're not. It's not as different as you might think. I mean, there are there are differences, but but um, and especially with something like Star Wars, where and you know what we're hearing is that Favreau's taking a really similar approach to the one that he took on Jungle Book, which for, for anybody that doesn't know, you know, basically they shot in a jungle on a soundstage that didn't exist. <laughs> you know, it's all green screen, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, you know most of the characters were animated, most of the environment was animated, and all yes, that. So essentially, yeah. it's kind of like bed knobs and broomsticks of the 21st century. Yeah, you right. Know, you've just right. got people walking around in an animated environment. So ninety yeah. percent of the image that you're getting. Maybe I made anyway. Right, right. That is so, very true. That is very you know, true. So you're dealing with a performance in the midst of an animated show. So in a way, you might even say that Dave is probably better qualified than John. All right. And well, it, that's it, fair it enough. Just, and also know. it presents us with a, a, a really great public relations move because yeah, Dave oh, is so uh, well-received by fans and mm-hmm. so well-respected in the industry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you have that bridge from George Lucas. You know, Dave obviously yeah. learned at the feet yeah. of the master. And uh, mm-hmm. and so there's there's just so many pluses with something like that. So you can imagine um, that might have a lot to do with why Clone Wars is going to be coming back next year is because... Mm. Because the studio is recognizing the value of a guy like Dave Filoni, and Dave mm-hmm. Filoni is probably recognizing that too. And as maybe a bargaining chip, he said, you know, I would love to segue into live action. I would love to work on the live action show. I'd love to be a spokesperson for things that Lucasfilm Animation is rolling out, uh, like Star Wars Resistance or uh forces of destiny what have you you know Mm. a spokesperson not necessarily a guy who's working hands-on and we know dave filoni is not really working that hands-on with star wars resistance he's getting Mm. the show up off the ground and probably acting as a sort of consultant but for the most part he won't be involved in day-to-day operations of that show so maybe as a parting thing before he leaves animation fully behind he said you know what i really like to wrap up Clone Wars the way we always envisioned it being wrapped up. So that's why they're giving him that opportunity to knock it out of the park one last time with Clone Wars Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. he fully starts to incorporate himself in live action television and then potentially live action films. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a natural progression Mm -hmm. and that's something I think a lot of people would like to see happen. Uh, because Dave's reputation yeah. is so good. I'm, I, I mean, I feel as though, you know, Dave's Dave's earned everybody's uh, positivity, isn't he? I mean, he's done such a fantastic job of creating characters that we all love, mm-hmm. and he's done such a wonderful job of making it, or helping it continue to feel Georgie. And uh, <laughs> you know, that's it's not 
it's not an easy thing. So it's it's really amazing that he's managed to get as far as he has. And it, to me, it's a no-brainer that they bring him into a live-action show. I think it's going to give a lot of us... I mean, when we all first heard about um, the new show, the new animated show, we were all thinking, oh, well, we're in good hands because Dave's involved. And, and everybody just naturally knew no, that no. there's going to be a certain standard. No, we were of, reporting right from the get-go. That yeah, it's, we, uh, we, we it was most of... likely that that Filoni will not be involved in day to day operation. Mm, yeah, yeah. I and mean, I think I think um, you know I think, so. I think bringing Dave in into the live action show is a total no brainer. I think like it's it's just immediately people are going to expect it to be good. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you're going to get a goodwill just from Dave's you know involvement, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And you know, mm. regardless of what his involvement is, either as mm. a, a producer or maybe even a writer, uh, you, you know, mm. there's, there's a lot of different mm. uh, tools in that toolbox that uh, Filoni can can go after. But you know what? Before we uh, we go forward, I'd like to hear from uh, a listener, if you don't mind. Do you uh, care if we sure. open up the old uh, Rebel Force Radio mailbag here and uh, get yeah, into some voicemail? All right, here we go. You must contact me. Play back the entire message. What message? Message, Doctor. The message. The Emperor commands you to make contact with him. It's a trick. Send no reply. Hi, Jimmy and Jason. This is Matthew Rooney calling from Florida. I wanted to call to ask about um, the new Scream that was supposed to be in the new Solo movie. I don't think I've heard Jimmy talk about it yet. There was some extensive discussion on previous episodes about the retiring of the Wilhelm Scream and that there was supposed to be a new Scream coming out in the new film. Um, As I'm leaving this message for you, there's no Blu-ray release or digital release yet, but I think in one of my subsequent viewings, I did hear the Scream. Um, I'm pretty sure it's from the stormtrooper who gets knocked off of his speeder bike on Corellia when Han and uh, Kira are being chased by one of Lady Proxima's goons. So anyway, uh, just curious if you guys have looked into that yet at all or uh, if you were in agreement with me on that being the, the actual screen that was being introduced or not. Anyway, uh, thanks for your programming. and may the force be with you. So Matt is asking about the new... Wilhelm scream that Matt Wood has mentioned, uh, stating that the original Wilhelm scream has been retired and there is now a new scream. Something I did notice is uh, I didn't hear the infamous Wilhelm scream. Right. Yeah, you know. I think uh, you might want to talk to Ben about that one, but he might be retiring it. Yeah. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's out everywhere. I mean, everyone's right. got it. It's in right. every movie. and It's been getting a lot of attention lately. Yeah. Right? Before it was just kind of a industry yeah. inside joke not anymore <laughs> no now it's all out there and so the fun's yeah. probably over with that one huh? uh, maybe that might we're, we're, yeah ben well there's another screen that's going to be on the horizon here that uh we'll see but we're not ready to talk about yet okay <laughs> but it is like another old from a vintage film or yeah something? it's from something that yeah. uh, it will be funny but i yeah i'm not i'm not gonna oh you're such a tease i'm a tease yeah you're a tease yeah well it's we'll in be indiana jones and the and the uh crystal skull but, okay, uh, but uh, that's all you're gonna say because yeah. you want to keep having fun with this yeah, one, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's like a new Wilhelm scream. Out there. Uh, I'm not gonna go. Uh, I'm not gonna be quoted <laughs> saying that. But well, yeah, you're gonna have to talk to Ben about that one. But see, the thing is, is that I'm not aware of the scream because I don't think we've heard it enough times. We're gonna have to keep no. hearing the scream 
multiple times before we're able to say, that's the one that they're using all the time now. Mm. I don't know. Did you catch anything in Solo that jumped out at you? Is Number one, did you hear the original Wilhelm scream anywhere in Solo? And Nine. number two, did you hear a scream that could be considered the new Wilhelm scream? No, nothing obvious, I don't think, Jimmy. I mean, I think the thing I'm beginning to notice now is Matthew's voice. You I know, hear it like, a lot, yeah. Like, I, you know, I kind of feel like I'd like a little bit more tweaking on that occasionally because it's like Matthew's playing so many robots and stuff now. It's mm-hmm. like, there's Matthew, you know. <laughs> yeah, really easy to to pick his voice yeah. out. I, I was watching the uh, an online breakdown of all the different changes that have gone into the original Star Wars film since 1977, mm-hmm. including the special yeah. edition and the DVD mm-hmm. and the Blu-ray release and all these little tweaks that Lucas has added over the years. And the sound mix obviously has been revamped many times. And the original crate dragon call that Obi-Wan Kenobi unleashes and chases off the sand people with, uh, that came from uh, a stock library and then was revamped to be more Mm. of like a whistle sound. And then by the time the Blu-ray came out, it was a combination of Matt Wood's voice and David Acord's voice. But mm. it's so clearly Matt at the beginning of that that it's you think? Oh yeah. I'd have to listen to it again. Oh, yeah. I mean all like all I can hear in my head is because I used to listen to the story of album, you know, for years and years and years. So I can just hear that noise of the you know, the original Crate Dragon in my head as clear as day. So I, I, it's almost like it overrides whatever I'm hearing. You know, because I'm kind of expecting it, you know. So, yeah, that's odd that it sounds like Matthew. Yeah, it does. I'm actually <laughs> going to play it for you just so you can cool. hear it. Because you probably, mm. I don't know how much uh, you've really paid attention to it. but uh, Not the new one, no. Here's uh, the, um, the new one from the special edition. Check this out. Okay, that's actually from the DVD release of the special edition. So, mm. excuse me. Uh, while I find the actual uh, <laughs> original, oh well, here's the original one. Might as well. Okay. Perfect. Why change it? <laughs> right. <laughs> Perfect. Why change it? Here's it sounds like a dragon. You know. Not- here's something interesting. Here okay. is the same sound effect heard in the 1960s Hanna Barbera cartoon Dino Boy. Check this out. <laughs> Did you hear it? Yeah, yeah. Right in the middle wow. there. Kind of buried in the mix there, though. <laughs> a, a little bit, a little bit. But, I mean, that just goes to show yeah. you how long that sound effect has been around. Wow. Now, yeah. fast forward to uh, 2011 with the Blu-ray release. Here is the updated version. Now, you will hear Matt Wood yelling at the very beginning of this. And it mm-hmm. is totally distinguishable as being him. Check it out. <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah. That, that uh, whoa! Check it out. Whoa. That's totally mad. <laughs> yeah. But the back end is like, all right, calm down. And then, you know? <laughs> well, and then they crossfade into David Acord, Matt's yeah. studio partner. Whoa. It just sounds like a police car or something. It's kind of well freaky. Yeah. <laughs> 
Don't you think? I think it's a bit much. It's like, all right. You know, and it is supposed to be Alec Guinness impersonating a crate dragon. It's like, whoa. You know, so, how's he doing that? <laughs> so that's a that's a crate dragon. Oh, but of course, we were talking yeah. about the Wilhelm mm. and how we're on this quest to yeah. to figure out what is now being considered the new Wilhelm scream. Mm. And uh, according to listener Matt, he says it. He's pretty sure it happens. Uh, it comes out of the stormtrooper who gets knocked off his speeder bike on Corellia right. during that that speeder chase at the beginning of the film uh-huh so maybe maybe that is the new sound but uh you know how i feel about that is it, it's a bit of fun mm-hmm. um and if and if they can do it without it clonking you over the head you know if they can kind of put it in the mix somehow and you just accept it then great but for, for me it's a little bit like the self-referencing lines a lot like in the original trilogy, when the you know the first Star Wars movies came out, I felt like there wasn't an awful lot of um, of that going on. I think they were still building the story, and it didn't need to kind of repeat itself. And mm-hmm. I think all you really got was I've got a bad feeling about this, and that was about it. Mm-hmm. But but by now it's like stop referencing yourself because it's just <laughs> it's to me just takes me completely out of the reality that they're painting. Oh. No, it's like it's like. It's just too much, and I think the audio is the same. It's like if they keep reusing the same audio, it's like, okay, now I'm not. Now I'm in a work of fiction. I'm not in something that I can just kind of lose myself in. You know, it's, it, I find it that distracting. I don't know. Do you, Jimmy? Are you well, kind of cool? Yeah, with it yeah, absolutely. I do. I I, mm. I also get frustrated when Star Wars references other movies. Um, like, yeah. like, like blatantly. Now, I, listen, I know that George Lucas took a lot of inspiration from old Westerns yeah. and well, we had, Flash we had Gordon. We in Jedi, didn't we, for a start off? That was like, wait, what? Oh. I hate that. I hate the Tarzan call yeah. <laughs> that Chewie does. He did a Ron Ely, yeah. If you're not familiar with... Uh, the moment in, well, it actually happens twice. It happens in the original trilogy on uh, Endor when Chewie f- swings on that vine and lands on top of the scout walker. Yeah. He makes the, the Tarzan call. Oh, that's, and it took me years to actually mm-hmm. discover that. That's <laughs> what Chewie was doing. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, wow, big Buster Crab fan, apparently. Didn't Buster Crab play Tarzan? Or Johnny Weissmuller. That's what it is. He's a big Johnny Weissmuller fan. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. I just like, wow, really, Chewy? Really? <laughs> the Tarzan call? I mean, that's just such blatant, blatant thing. And, you know, I bet that evolved with Ben Burt just m- mucking about in his studio. Yeah, yeah. And, and just, it would be fun. I mean, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you do. You... <laughs> Star Wars is such a unique beast because you watch it and it's so much fun. And it's always been fun, and there's yeah. always been a very tongue-in-cheek kind of knocking itself kind of part of the story, right? Um, but you can yeah, cross the at line. The same time, we we all want to take it really seriously and lose ourselves in the world, and yeah. so so it's a real delicate balance, isn't it? Like what what's enough fun and enough silliness along those lines to to keep us kind of laughing, but what's what's so much that it takes us out of the reality that they're building? You know, it's, yeah. But, I mean, you know, so to me it's kind of cringeworthy when you really open your ears and you hear it. And you go, oh, God, that is what he's doing. Yeah. But, you know, here and and actually here's here's the sound itself. (laughs) 
<laughs> so that's just Ben messing around yeah. in the studio and making that it's and messing with the pitch uh-huh. to come up yeah. with the Tarzan, the Chewbacca Tarzan. Yeah. Mm. That's so silly. I wonder, if, I wonder if that's somebody's favorite moment. Yeah, that's my, that's the reason why I love Return of the Jedi. Oh, the, the Tarzan moment. The tar- <laughs> and then they repeat it in Revenge of the Sith. They bring it back. Oh, yeah, they did, didn't they, during the battle, yeah. The Battle the, of Kashyyyk. The it's not Chewbacca at that moment. So that no. makes it even more discerning that this was sort of like um, a trend. A cry. It was yeah. like a trend on Kashyyyk where, like, a lot, all the Wookiees were. <laughs> it is funny sounding, though. I, I'd have a lot of problem putting that on the cutting room floor myself if I was actually working on a movie. But as a Star Wars fan watching it, sometimes I'm like, oh, that's that's cringeworthy to me and it, yeah. to a certain degree. But mm. yeah, I'm not going to gnash teeth over it too much. It is fun. It is fun. Yeah, like you fun. said, Paul, it, it, it does fuel the fun in Star Wars. So yeah, uh, I mean, and no fun in Star Wars kind of is, it doesn't feel like Star Wars, does it? You can't, it can't get too seriously and serious and too grim. You know, I, f- I felt like kind of Rogue One really got right on the edge of that line, mm. where there, were, there was enough there was enough laughs in that in that movie to kind of make it work. Um, but a- any fewer, and it just would have been such a dour movie. I mean, for everybody dying and everything else. You know, you just gonna think, yeah, there had to be laughs in that film and in a few places. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, it still always has to have laughs, doesn't it? Always, even yeah. if it's. <laughs> <laughs> I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. All right, well, we have news. We have casting news. Casting news that makes all the nerds happy when you could uh, bring in somebody from Lord of the Rings into the Star Wars universe, and that's exactly <laughs> what's happening is Dominic Monaghan joins the cast of Star Wars Episode Nine. Of course, Dominic working with J.J. Abrams before on Lost, which I thought he was extremely likable and great character on that show. And he was one of the uh, one of those hobbits. I forget his which hobbit he played. Do you remember which hobbit he played? Uh, Oh, Mary. Of course, Mary. He played. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And he played Charlie on Lost. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a pretty good actor. I I see him fitting into the Star Wars mold real nicely. Yeah, I guess he's not so big as, you know, every kid's going to go, that's the Hobbit guy, you know. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's strange for me is that, yeah, every, everybody was such nobodies in the original Star Wars movies, and obviously they tried to go the same way with The Force Awakens, by mm-hmm. and large, that it's starting to feel like there's a lot of famous faces in this movie, don't you think? A little bit. You know? I mean, you know, uh, in addition mm-hmm. to Dominic, uh, the mm-hmm. big news, uh, I mean, again, geeks worldwide rejoicing, as Doctor Who, Matt Smith joins Star Wars episode. I mean, come on, yeah, Doctor, you know Doctor why, freaking though, right? You know why? You know why? I, He's actually playing Doctor Who, and in the very first scene, he materializes on Acto and uh, t- takes Mark out of there. But throws like, him into on, the TARDIS. Yeah, and off he's, he's going to show up with the TARDIS, and he's going to go, "Come on, Luke can't die this way, man. We've got to go back and fix things." So it's going to be a, uh, a who a, yeah. a legitimate crossover. Now I have to admit, yeah. okay. <laughs> I have to admit, I've never seen Matt Smith act a second in my life. Right. I, I don't watch Doc- The last time I watched Doctor Who was when mm. Tom Baker was the Doctor in the 80s. That wow. was the last time I made it through a full episode of Doctor uh-huh. Who. And uh, it just, again, as we talked earlier in the show, 
Mm. I don't watch too much TV. So uh, yeah. Doctor Who, all of these doctors keep switching over. And and we know that if you live in London, it's isn't it like <laughs> the law that you have to watch Doctor Who? Isn't that required <laughs> of all citizens or you get deported if you like, you know? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like we were brought up on this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I worked on I worked on a few of them and stuff. Like I worked in the David Tennant era. I worked on a few episodes with when, when he was in it, which is when it really kind of found its feet over here again. Absolutely. All, all my nieces and nephews were crazy about it, and they were just like, they went nuts. I'd send them a photograph of me by the tortoise, and they just totally flip out. Like, sure, balls by a tortoise. Oh yeah, I mean, but, uh, you know, they... yeah, I know it's really, really well loved, and it, it, we loved it when we were kids. In there, the effects were terrible. Yeah, absolutely terrible. Cheesy. You know? But but again, it's like that. It's like that Babylon Five thing that it never got in, got in the way of storytelling. They go really big storytelling. They'd be like, this week is all about the end of the universe, and our budget is fifty quid. You know, mm. <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be like tinfoil and fireworks and put the camera out of focus. Look, there's a planet blown up, you know. But so. uh, no, I think it's good news that he's he's going to be in it. And Matt's, it's kind of distinctive in his, his you know, his, cha- his appearance has changed a bit since he was on Who. So I think he's, he's going to have his own thing going on. But didn't somebody say he's playing somebody significant, which made yeah. me wonder uh, what variety, they meant by that. Variety like, reported. That variety reporting that... Hmm. Um, that uh, Matt will be playing a key role in the forthcoming key role. That's key it. role, yeah. So, mm. uh, so we have Doctor Who. Uh, let's speculate a little bit. Um, mm. You think uh, goody or baddie? Ah, uh, yeah, it's tricky. I don't know. He he, ha- he looks like he'd be a great Imperial. In my opinion. yeah, or he, he might. I mean, I, I mean, you know, the the thing about. about these actors is we can speculate all, speculate all we like and then they can just turn up as some bizarre stick insect alien for all you know can they just use his voice right, and we have right. no idea do yeah. we yeah i'm thinking I mean, bruce he's, he's spence amazing. bruce spence from uh from uh, episode three i was really surprised i was like oh my god yeah. from from the road yeah. warrior he's gonna be in mm. and then he turns out to be like you said you know completely covered up and yeah and uh makeup and 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 not in the movie very long um, mm. Did play an important role as uh, the the uh, uh, what was his name in uh, episode three? Uh, 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 oh yeah, Tion Medin. Remember Tion Medin, mm. and mm. Uh, he played that. I didn't have to look that up either. It kind of, to me, it almost sounded like I yes. just Googled it, but I didn't. I didn't. I still remember stuff, which is good. See <laughs> what while we while the the names on the tips of tongue uh, the one thing I should mention about Dominic Monaghan is he's a huge Star Wars fan right he's got a tattoo with um, luminous beings are we not this crude matter doesn't he, he has a Star Wars tattoo on him yeah, I think so. he tweeted a photo of it uh, after the news broke yeah after right. the news broke that he's going yeah. to be playing a role in the uh, in the film um, what if the, what if the, all these New faces, you know. What if they're all just in the very last scene as the next generation of Jedi coming through? Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, yeah, and that you would know, have like, set like up next, a new it's film. Just like one shot of like they just cut to them all and they're all just stood there ready for action. Hmm. Then everyone would be like, give us episodes 10, 11, and 12. Yeah, yeah, really, like, really. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I think Dominic is going to play a, a character on the good side. He's such a likable guy, yeah. you know. I mean, he's he's a likable. Yeah. So I think it would be a real change of pace to have him playing a, a villainous character. But I don't know. I I don't know his IMDb by but like the back of my hand. Maybe he has experience playing villains. But what? I've only seen him in a couple of things playing really nice, likable guys. I mean, his character in Lost became sweet, didn't he, Charlie? But but initially, he was kind of a bit of a 
you know, nasty piece of work, really. He kind of he kind of went off the went off the path and became a bit of a druggie and stuff. I think, if I remember right. Oh, that right. is right. Well, he had, yeah, he was he was still dealing with. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think the, the the effects of withdrawal when that yeah. plane crashed, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I, I I think so. Um, but uh, you know, that doesn't yeah. make him a villain necessarily. No, uh, you know? I mean, I've got it's anybody's guess, isn't it? Anybody's guess. So he'll I be mean. joining new cast members, um, Richard E. Grant. Oh, now now you're talking. I mean, Richard he played the Doctor Who as well, you know. For, they did like a one-off special, and he turned up in a bunch of animated versions of Who. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, but Richards—I mean, he's a legend over here. We we adore him, you know. I mean, he was—he's most well known for uh, With Nell and I, which is a fantastic movie if you've not checked it out. But mm. he's just—he's just historical. Have you seen that? No, yeah. no, Jimmy. No. With Nell and I is just a classic. Get talking to Kyle about it because he's a massive, massive fan of With Nell as as am I. And it's basically—it's about um, a young actor. Um, living in London in you know suburbia and he's not doing very well and he's struggling and um, he he his his life isn't turning out the way he wants it to and it's just this tragic comedy of errors hmm. but the, but like there are so many Richard E Grant lines from that that are super super quotable so he's a so, Doctor Who so. and yeah he, uh, he played Who yeah and um, and yeah, and Matt connected. played Doctor Who mm-hmm. of course uh, Matt Smith and then you yeah. had um uh uh. uh the Bendu was voiced by Tom Baker. Tom Baker, yeah. So, yeah. a lot of Doctor Who infiltration. Of the <laughs> There's Star a lot Wars of actors in the original Star Wars. Didn't David Tennant? David Tennant did a voice uh-huh. on the Clone Wars. Remember in the Younglings episodes, yeah. he was that droid, mm. that ancient Jedi droid. Mm. Um, yeah. So uh, we have now four Doctors infiltrating the Star Wars universe. Mm. So you, you think the odds of the TARDIS showing up on Octo are pretty good? Huh? <laughs> please, please, please! Get in quick! <laughs> Get in quick! Beam him out of there! <laughs> yeah. So, um, pretty exciting stuff. Also, some other new names include uh, Carrie Russell is a big name, isn't oh, she? She's yes, Carrie Russell. Thank you for reminding me, Carrie Russell. Oh. And they say her character is going to uh, see some action sequences, maybe. Mm-hmm. Do you know what, Jimmy? I mean, you know when they say things like that now. You know, I remember I just recently watched the rewatched some of the Force Awakens extras and the whole big uh, interview about Phasma and and what an iconic and important, significant character it was, and how you know how it was going to change everything. And and then when you actually watch the movie, it's like blinking, you miss her, you know. Mm, right. So after that, I'm kind of like any of this pre-release stuff that says like this character is really significant or important. I'm, I always take it with a real pinch of salt. Because uh, I don't think it's always it doesn't always end up kind of cutting down to the movie that, that they shoot, you know, kind of. So I think it's everybody's guess whether the character's significant or not. I mean, you know, they've even cut characters out altogether before now, haven't they? So mm-hmm. I'm curious as to whether or not because they seem to make a big they made a big deal out of Kerry, and obviously she worked with JJ before, didn't she? So right, right. Well, I mean, she was the title like, character in Felicity, so obviously yeah, they, yeah. So they are going to make wonder, a big deal about it. You do think, like, or assume that she'll probably play somebody that's important. Do you think she might be Ray's mom? What do you think? Oh. Maybe. Maybe. It's possible. Possible. <laughs> yeah. I think but, Matt's maybe a bit young to play a dad. Mm. So, and I don't think Richard E. Grant would go there. Right, right. So, right. Yeah, mm, yeah, Richard E. Yeah. Grant. So, well, you know, it's, it is People. possible. I keep just picturing them, you know, a lot of these... Uh, 
these actors that get announced, uh, you know, just being in a scene or two, you know, and it may be a mm. pivotal scene. Don't get me wrong. But we are talking about wrapping up the Skywalker saga. We're talking about concluding mm. three different trilogies in one film. And so I tend to look at things like these casting announcements and stuff and going like, oh, my God, how many more are they going to pile in to like dilute the whole story? I yeah. need, we need focus. We need focus on characters, uh, you know, mm. like Ray, like Poe, like Finn, you know, mm. like Kylo. We we need focus on those characters. Mm. Uh, mm. We we desperately, desperately do. And you know, if they're bringing back Luke and the potential of Yoda coming back and maybe Obi Wan and stuff, it's that's a lot of screen mm. time to be fighting for. Yeah. So. Uh, and then and, and just just today, there's a new uh, rumor out there uh, that J.J. Uh, Abrams is searching for an actress to play a street smart character referred to internally as Karina. Karina. Yeah. So, again, I mean, we're talking about characters that might just pop up in a scene here and there. But I'm not really you know, sure. You know what I'm looking forward to reading about a casting thing? Like, you, you know, the, things fall into cliche sometimes, don't they? And I remember... You know, when you get these CVs through and, and you quite often get, if you're, if you're interviewing people, and, and one of the things you get is, uh, that's very common is, um, used to work in my own, but very, very competent working in a group. And, and I used to be very tempted to throw that one straight in the bin because I was like, that is just so like what everybody says. Uh-huh. One of the things that's, that's going that way now with Star Wars is every, every um, character description is, is kind of, you know, likable, smart, intelligent, yeah. you know, um, uh, sharp. Uh, Street smart, sufficient. Yeah. What I'd like to start hearing is like this character is a complete idiot, useless at everything, and you know, <laughs> total dunce, like, like just no good. You know, <laughs> just to shake it up a bit and give us something different. I know everybody was speculating whether or not Richard E. Grant might be playing Thrawn, and I, I, I immediately went no way because they just caused cast Lars Mikkelsen. Because I mean, he's a great actor, and he's he's still in movies now, and he looks like Thrawn. So yeah, right. he does he does the voice in the animated show. So why sure not would they cast yeah. anybody different? Again, but, I um, think to bring in characters from the novels or the comics yeah. or even the Which, animated series is a tall yeah. order to ask for Episode Nine. Well, I don't think they will, and I don't think they probably want to. Do, would you want them to, Jimmy? Would no. you like Thrawn to be in these movies? Like I said, I'm having fear mm. about all of these casting announcements, uh, yeah. thinking that these new characters who we have no connection with, no association with, are going mm. to be stealing screen time, valuable screen time away well, from characters who really need their stories to be concluded. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the way I felt about Rose, and it wasn't that I didn't like Kelly Marie or I didn't like her performance. I did. Um, but I just thought, okay, you just like I felt like Finn and and Ray were mm-hmm. insanely underdeveloped for for the second movie. I just felt like we learned almost nothing new about them. Right. And meanwhile, we we spent a big chunk of the movie chatting to Rose, and it was like, get rid of this extraneous character that we don't need and build the core group properly first. You know, it's right. Like, right. Uh, and so yeah, adding a whole bunch of new cast members has me worried too. It's like, okay, how's this going to work out? You know, mm-hmm. how many more roses but, uh, are we going to be exposed to? Yeah, and, and you I know, mean, I just want to set the record straight about Rebel Force Radio and Rose. We've never had mm-hmm. ever had a problem with Kelly Marie Tran or Rose no. or the character or anything. I love it. We've always liked I love her. It. I just felt there wasn't room for it. That was all. That's that was it. it. I think not- that's a lot of people's problem with it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like you know when I look at the Last Jedi now, especially after the announcement has been made officially that 
The Skywalker saga does conclude with Episode Nine. Um, you know, I look back at the Last Jedi and go, "Why all the Rose and Finn stuff?" It just it yeah. doesn't really make a difference mm. on the overall story it, at all. It makes. I mean, like the the thing you got to say is like in my my opinion, you know, I feel like Rose made more of an impression in the Last Jedi than than Ray did, and that's that's not good. Well, it just you seems know, like all of a sudden it's like, a tangent. It's like, it's, it's like not putting Luke Skywalker in in the original Star Wars for well five minutes. I mean, that's what it felt like to mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I don't know. Anyway, I shouldn't complain about that. But well, I, no, it's fair I, that I just, you do. And I just, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. if anyone thinks that Rebel Force Radio was a hater of Kelly or of of her character Rose, they, you know, I, I, I'll challenge you to go back and find a show where we were harshly critical. I, we both liked. Kelly, we yeah. thought she was Mm-mm. she was cute and likable character, and she yeah. played well off of uh, off of. She was Finn. she was awesome at the premiere too. She was just, I mean, what could you not? That's not that's when she really really so won me warm over. and friendly and sweet, and she was just so happy to be in Star Wars. I mean, yeah, I was totally rooting for her. That's when you know, she totally it was, won. It was just over. about it's all about the, the the director's ability to to juggle. I mean, it's tricky. It's a tall order to put a lot of characters in one movie, and it still amazes me when you look at something like the Avengers, where they're juggling so many balls and they. Manage to make it work, and everybody gets a moment in the sun, and that that is not easy. It's amazing that they managed to make those films still work with a with a you know a huge catalogue of characters to kind of juggle, and still it, you feel like you get a little slice of everybody. But I, you know, for my money, I just didn't feel that that was as successful in in the Last Jedi. So yeah, I'm I'm very worried about all these new characters coming into nine. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you kind of feel like well, they bumped a few off, didn't they? I mean, they did kill a few different characters so you know maybe there is a space to fill and there's room for new people and you know maybe it'd be nice to set up a few things that kind of make us wonder about the future rather than kind of hitting a dead end right you know so i mean it all depends on what the final act's like doesn't it and where he goes with it but very a lot of people are thinking richard e grant's going to be a villain but yeah i don't know i don't know Mm. He's, he's done both all right so let's uh let's move on now uh, I just wanted to say that you know, for the record, we've never, we've never talked crap on Kelly or that character. Not- so, but let's mm-hmm. let's think about some other new Star Wars coming along, such as Star Wars Resistance, and this is a big week for Star Wars Resistance, riding on the uh, uh, tales of the uh, the first look trailer that uh, a lot of people felt was rather underwhelming. Uh, we have a new video and article on ew meet team fireball and so we get to hear from uh, some of the creatives involved with this new series and we get a little bit of insight as to what the tone of the series is going to be like and a little bit about what the story and characters are going to be like uh according to the article in ew um the decimation witnessed in the force awakens is still a ways off during this era of Star Wars, this resistance still a ways off. There have been reports that this series is going to take place six months prior to the force awakens, but that's, mm. that's kind of sketchy information. And, um, Lucasfilm really? has not made any sort of announcement that that's where it's going to be p- placed on the timeline. Mm. Uh, somebody found it in, in some, uh, they were reviewing the code <laughs> that was, uh, 
you know, you, when right, you go to a right. website, you know, you can you can take a look at the code uh, by hitting one of those <laughs> F buttons. Uh, I know because I'm always hitting that F button by mistake. And then there it is. It popped up. It was like F10 or something. And so you see all the code in there and you could review it and look at it and, and you see text. And uh, one of the text, uh, uh, the lines of text in the code said that the series takes place six months prior to the force awakens and while that that could be true it still has not been officially announced and there's they're dancing around it a little bit because i don't think they really even know how far in advance of the force awakens this particular storyline happens on the timeline itself that could still be yet to be determined but uh according to the press release or the article in entertainment weekly force awakens still a ways off so I don't know how a ways off translates in the Star Wars calendar, but mm. that makes me think a little bit larger period than just six months. So a, yeah. a, a longer stretch of time than that. Uh, more from the article. General Leia Organa and her X-Wing ace Poe Dameron have dispatched BB-8 alongside Kazuda Ziono, voiced by Christopher Sean, to work as spies. Kaz's undercover is a small-time racer who works on the Colossus, which is a sort of way station for galactic travelers. The Fireball is the old ship they're trying to restore, so named because of its tendency to burst into flames or explode. So, uh, so uh, we uh, have a clip here, uh, uh, Dave Filoni from the video, uh, talking about Kaz and Team Fireball. Team Fireball, they're our core Star Wars group. They're not caught up in the bigger things going on in the galaxy. I wanted to have a sense of childlike fun and adventure. And what unifies this team is that they need each other. They need to try and win races to survive and make money. And our hero, Kaz, is still coming into his own, and he's a very, very good pilot, but he's still a bit fish out of water when it comes to living in a place like the Colossus. The Colossus. The Colossus looks like a big oil rig, kind of, uh, mm. on water. Uh, it is on water, isn't it? Or am I just... Yeah, I think okay. so. Looks yeah, like yeah. it. So... Uh, mm. Uh, that's Dave talking about uh, uh, Team Fireball and the Colossus. The thing that jumps out to me is what Dave says. Childlike fun and adventure. Childlike mm. fun and adventure. That's a theme that keeps popping up in this marketing for the show. So I think that Lucasfilm and Disney and Filoni, they all want us to know, okay? This is a kid yeah. show. This really is yeah. a kid show. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to scratch some itch, uh, you know, when if you're a 40-something-year-old Star Wars fan. it's. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to strip the show of its potential as far as its ability to tell stories in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. But um, I'm really getting the vibe <laughs> and have for a long time, uh, you know, from things that I've heard officially and unofficially, that um, this show is being specifically designed and marketed for 10-year-olds. Mm. And I know you could go back to the 70s and f- pull up quotes from George Lucas saying, yeah, this is a movie for 10-year-olds. This is specifically mm. for 10-year-olds. But just the general vibe of the cinema in the 70s had much more of an edge to it. Mm. And, mm. and it was generally considered that kids' films were rated G back in the 70s. 
That's what designated a kid's film was the rating. Nowadays, you yeah. you rarely see the G rating for anything, you know, even like Disney animation. But back then, it was really like, you know, anything PG and up would be acceptable for adults. And, and Star Wars had that edge. It never came off as something that was pandering to a younger audience. It was mm. truly for a younger audience, but it didn't seem like, oh, well, we have to make the humor this way and we have to put some slapsticky elements into it. And I, I think that stuff just naturally evolved. You know, when I think of slapstick, I mean, when you think of Star Wars and slapstick, what do you think of? Uh, maybe yeah, kind of Jar Jar and stuff. Yeah, Jar Jar. Yeah, definitely more in the prequel era, but not not in the original film. No way, not in the original film. With the prequel era, you can point to a lot of things in George Lucas's personal life, especially the fact he was surrounded by children that he was raising, and uh, mm. so naturally uh, he would want to tailor what he was creating toward a specific age group. And I think Jar Jar Binks is the the most obvious example of that, uh, as you mentioned. But still, the original Star Wars had that 70s cinema edge to it. Yeah, it did really, I think. You know, that didn't play down to an audience. I have a mm. feeling that there are certain things in Star Wars Resistance that's going to be playing down to the younger audience mm. and uh, with with moments of slapstick, etc. Mm. Not wanting to jump I, to any conclusions, but I mean, how do you what, what do you feel about the general vibe of what we've seen from Resistance so far, Paul? I don't know. I mean, I feel I feel as though this is a show that only kids are going to like, um, you know, to be to be as blunt about it as possible. I think I've got almost no interest in watching it, which is unusual, you know, for me. Uh, I'm not excited by what I'm seeing so far, um, which normally I would be totally on side and just be, you know, pleased about it. But right now, I, I don't like the way it looks. I'm not excited about the story. And I, I kind of feel like I should be genuine about that. You know, like I'm just I'm just not interested because I don't have kids. Right. You know, right. So, but, but I'm really, really happy that little kids out there will have a show that they can potentially really love. And I'm glad that it's set in this universe. And mm-hmm. I'm excited that to see, you know, that it's the, they're just going to keep going with the animated side of things and that there'll always be a new generation of kids coming through that will have something to kind of get into. And mm-hmm. the one, the one thing that I tell, if I sound like really down on it, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what my main concern is is basically like when i heard initially that they were going to be doing a sort of something that had a lot of 2d in it right i was thinking fantastic this is something that can kind of really open up in terms of scope you know and and if i had any criticism at all of rebels which was very entertaining and really you know a fun show and had lots of great characters in it and it was easy for people of all ages to get into it you know, it would just be that they were kind of pretty much stuck in one place a lot of the time. You know, it was either about the ship or about the one planet. And um, because, you know, doing a show on a budget that's in 3D creates all kinds of issues in terms of how many assets do they have and what's, you know, what do we have to shoot with and stuff like that. And it's very much like um, shooting live action and that you can't have an infinite number of props and stuff like that. So it's quite restrictive in terms of storytelling and it can be inhibiting and when i heard they were going to go for 2d i was like fantastic we can planet hop we can time hop we can do all kinds of stuff where it's maybe set in all different time periods and lots of you know it can be very um it can have a real wide stretch 
So I was excited about the possibilities there. And then I realized that a lot of the, the character animation was 3D converted to 2D. And I, I just I just don't like the way it looks. Okay, so, fair so, enough. And I'm such a visual person that I, you know, I'm very shallow about that kind of stuff. And maybe I'll change my mind when I see more of it. Because to be fair, I haven't seen a great deal of it. You know, right. and, I, and I love like like Amy Beth's work and stuff, who's the main art director. I really like her design. She's a very talented designer and everything. So I expect there'll be a lot of beautiful stuff in here. Um, but for me as an adult, I, I, you know, it's just, this is the first time since they've been putting out content that I'm actually kind of going, yeah, this really isn't for me and that's okay. You know, it's so, it's, it's hard to kind of like really get enthusiastic for something that I kind of feel is aimed so young, mm. you know, you know, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, um, yeah, I think I'm glad that they've done it and I'm glad that kids will have a show that they, that they can enjoy, you know, but I'm not, I'm not super excited about it. I'm definitely much, much more excited about seeing the last 12 episodes of the Clone Wars. If I was to try and put the two side by side, I mean, this is this is brand new Star Wars where anything's possible. And I'm kind of running at about a three in terms of excitement. But mm. for the new Clone Wars, it's like I'm running at about 12. <laughs> you know, you know last know, week, uh, Jason and I know. were jumping to conclusions that uh, mm. this is a 2D animated show. And a lot of people uh, reached yeah. out to us and said, well, no, it's, it's mm. actually uh, 3D using uh, 2D-like assets. So I can't understand all that. I do know that there are a lot of glimpses at the animation in this promo video, Meet Team Fireball, that, Mm. I mean, I did gasp at some of it. I was like, wow, Mm. you know, it looked great. And it was more like the ships and, you know, the, the space stuff and... And stuff yeah, of that nature. I, I mean, you got to take your hat off to them that they're trying something different. You know, I mean, that's it just always has always done that. You know, and I, I hope that some kid will watch this and just think it's the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I think they're they're being so clear about. I think I think what it is as well is tonally. It just kind of feels like, you know, it's very very juvenile in terms of the the kind of pulling 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 funny faces yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so it's it's hard for me to kind of like get that excited. Yeah, the slapstick like, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's uh let's um burn through some of this audio because we're starting to run a little late now mm. and I, I want to get sure. into our uh, review of the art of solo. But uh we have a clip here from Christopher Sean who's the voice of Kaz and Justin Ridge, uh Clone cool. Wars uh Star Wars Rebels veteran Justin Ridge. I, I think Justin did some work on the Clone Wars too. But uh he's uh the supervising director now of uh, Star Wars Resistance and uh, they're talking a little bit about the character of Kaz. I'm Christopher Sean and I play Kazuta Ziono on Star Wars Resistance. Kaz's job, given to him by Poe, is to spy in the First Order. He's good at flying, but he's not really good at spying. He's a bit clumsy, gets into trouble here and there, but Kaz is definitely a guy who has a lot of heart and wants to make a difference. There you go. So he's going to be a real likable guy. I, I call him Ezra point, you know, 2.0. Um, yeah, because <laughs> he really uh, feels very similar in vibe, you know, enthusiastic, um, mm. you know, unsure, kind of green, you know, is sort of how we're going to get introduced to him. Um, mm. That's uh, but I, he's he, I don't think he's going to have the uh, quite the uh, the backstory of a uh, Ezra, you know. Do you, do you know the the thing I think I'm picking up from this is like you know whenever if you if you sit with a bunch of Star Wars fans in a room you're gonna get like fifty ideas of what they'd like to see on t- television and you might get stuff like we'd like to see the birth of the Sith Empire we'd like to see um, you know what happened to Luke Skywalker after Return of the Jedi we'd like to see a Princess Leia show just before the original there's like dozens and dozens of ideas that I'm sure fans could immediately kind of jump on and kind of go oh yeah that's kind of interesting I'm not sure it's what we want but 
I get its appeal, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, like really quickly, like in a sentence or so. But I think with this, I just haven't heard that sentence yet. I haven't heard anything that's going to make me kind of go, oh, yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's just like, okay, a bunch of people on a station, you know. So maybe once we know more about it, I think we'll be be able to get much more excited about it. Well, as far as the general tone and vibe of the show goes, uh, we have have Athena Portillo and Justin Ridge. Athena, of course, longtime producer for... uh, Lucasfilm Animation and Justin Ridge, as I said, the supervising director for the series. They talk a little bit about the overall tone, and I think this this clears up a lot. We made the show for a younger audience. I think they'll love the relationships between the characters and all the lightheartedness. It's unique in tone, unique in look. It's a completely different package. It's very action-packed and vibrant, colorful, and you have you know lots of different pilots and ships and the different settings. I wish I had a show like this when I was growing up. Really, yeah. the hard sell. The hard sell is mm-hmm. right there. That colorful is it? That colorful is the one of the things that folks on is like that to me says like, oh yeah, you open at five year olds are going to watch this, right? Right. You know, like exactly. like colorful. <laughs> exactly, and this could be a great gateway for uh, young kids to get themselves yeah. invested in the Star look, Wars saga and uh, one of, and one of my favorite in. things at Star Wars convention is is to look at the really young kids that are nuts about Star Wars I love that Athena and I we were we were in a car park once at uh, LA for, I think for Celebration 4 and there was a kid that couldn't have been like more than about three um, standing in a Star Wars t-shirt that she clearly was very proud of and she just lost her mind when a stormtrooper walked by and and it was like it was hard not to just feel super emotional about about the fact that little kids are still really digging on this. Mm. So so uh, don't mistake my grouchy old man <laughs> business to you know like get off my lawn sort of stuff for for uh, thinking that it's a bad idea. I think it's great that little kids are going to have a show to enjoy. I there you it's, go. It's there cool. you go. In addition to uh, the Lego animated show, the. The hey, I like the Lego show. I don't really dug it. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I liked him. I liked him all. And um, <laughs> and of course, you know, Forces of Destiny definitely plays up to a younger crowd as well. So yeah. I think there's going <laughs> to uh, yeah. I hear you. It's 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 fluffy. It's it's fluffy and and uh, inconsequential, I believe, to the overall saga. But there it is. And it's you know obviously there to sell the the dolls. But um, mm-hmm. uh, but you know. I think we'll we'll be getting more out of resistance uh as far as uh mm. like profound storytelling value. Do you think like I mean, you know, with a lot of this stuff you kind of feel like people need to be given the the opportunity to learn too. You know, and you kind of feel as though Dave's clearly moving on and he's got his hands full and I I really don't think he can have been that involved in this show. I mean, he, he clearly had a lot to do with it. It's 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 conception. But right now, I kind of feel like, you know, this feels like a whole new sort of swathe of people are probably gradually kind of moving up the ladder and, and going to get a chance to do their Star Wars. And, and it's it's going to be nice to sort of... I've got a feeling that this show is one of these things that might be a slow burner. You know, you might get through season one, then certain things sort of start to sort of show the value. You might, you might get to, to sort of like the 10th episode and they start to realise... Yeah, this is really working, and then slowly a thing can kind of evolve into something that maybe is a, has a broader audience, or or a charm that you know is, is cross generational in some way, even if it continues to be aimed at little kids. So, I think I think that by season two, I imagine that Star Wars Resistance is one of the ones that maybe will have, 
more of a feeling of kind of transformation as it goes on. This is all supposition, but you know, I think all the shows kind of changed and evolved as they went. But out of all of them, I think Resistance is the one where I kind of feel like I bet you this changes a lot between season one and season three. I've just got a feeling about this one that it's got to evolve. No, quick, if it, if it yeah. is given, in, you know, in fact. Mm. The uh, the three season deal. Part of me feels like this is a yeah. placeholder until the Disney streaming service gets up mm. online, and then they'll launch that yeah. with a new animated series mm. or yet another one. Oh, I'd love to know, you know, how people feel about uh, the time period too, because even if it is like a like a year for the sequel trilogy and stuff, I kind of feel like you know one of the problems that I anticipated even way back at the Clone Wars show was that we kind of knew where it was headed and it had that whole prequel problem of we know the outcomes and we know kind of where we end up. But um, they managed to make it work with Clone Wars and they managed to, I mean, in fact, you know, it it just added to it because you knew that uh, Revenge of the Sith was on the horizon and and you knew, you know, it it kind of added to the drama rather than took it away. So it was quite exciting to to sort of get fill in the, the the blanks and and i almost feel that way about rebels too where we had all these assumptions about how the rebellion start, started that were dashed by the by the new show and everything so maybe you know there's a lot of stuff that we're we still don't know about uh you know that you know when the force awakens starts i mean there's we're just dropped into this world with very little exposition so maybe there's an awful lot of stuff in resistance that they could cover you know we could find out much more about how the first order started, we could find out a lot more about what the difference is between the resistance and the rebellion. I mean, cause it, I mean, I kind of find it hard to define what that difference is, you know, apart from just the time period. So, mm-hmm. you know, it could, it does, even though they clearly are aiming it for a young audience, I think there is a potential there in this time yeah. zone for, for a lot of kind of expanding on the universe and, um, yeah. filling us in on stuff that we don't know about. Like the rise of the, the new order or the first order. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I still, I keep doing that first new first. Um, and, uh, I, and I wonder if in episode nine, things will have evolved with the first order to the point where mm. they're referring to themselves as the galactic empire, because that's essentially what they yeah. would be. And so mm. maybe that mantle will be, uh, you know, they'll, they'll take up that and, and mm. they'll, they'll be referring to, the resistance as the rebellion, you know, to bring things around full mm-hmm. circle again. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, I, I agree that there, there will be probably some, some fruit on those branches uh, mm. that give us just like little tiny indicators as to how the first order has built up their military machine, what the mm. state of the, the, res, the, uh, the Republic is actually, and mm-hmm. the relationship between the Republic and, and the resistance, because from what we know, the resistance, they were openly operating as a militia and was not necessarily part of the Republic, but allowed to operate under the Republic rule. So mm. I'd like to know more about that because it confuses me just to hear myself say all that. So, uh, But it was like, uh, you know. Um, an unofficially sanctioned militia, you know, yeah. that was working on behalf of the uh, the government and everything. Um, but uh, yeah, childlike fun and adventure—that's what do we you, can ex- expect from and, Star Wars Resistance. Yeah, sure. I mean, did you, do you hear about like everybody speculating as to whether or not the Red Stormtrooper is the Cardinal? Do you know about Cardinal that? from the, the the Phasma novel? Yeah, uh, yeah. Cardinal wore—he wore. He wore Red armor like, that was more armor, like yeah. what 
Phasma was wearing. It just looked like a red version of Phasma's armor with the cape yeah, and kinda. all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then, I, do, I do wonder if they could be right there. I mean, Well, here we see the trooper in this, uh, this video. And mm. he's standing, he's flanked by two First Order stormtroopers. He's talking to some sort of official, and there's a, a droid on the side there. But he's wearing something totally different than the Cardinal, as described mm. in the novel. This this guy's wearing yeah. what appears to be some sort of pilot uniform and helmet. Mm. Uh, so they I don't, don't seem know. to worry about that stuff, though, do you, Jimmy? You know, like when it when it transfers from one thing to another, they don't really right, care. Right, right. I mean, you know, Thrawn's wearing a totally different costume to anything he ever wore in any of the books or the comics or... Now it's all changed up a little bit. And also you know? in this new video, we get our first look at General Leia in the animated form. And it uh, oh, looks pretty good. Looks pretty good. Yeah, I, had to, I have to admit, I got a bit soppy that when I saw that. I was like, oh. And uh, like, so like Leia's still in there. She He's dispatches uh, BB-8 to go with Kaz. So do you think we'll be seeing mm. BB-8 in regular episodes? Or he's just going to be checking in here and there? Yeah. Because there is another droid. BB-8, but I don't think we're going to see a lot of power, right? I don't I think. There is another see. droid named Bucket. And Bucket, right. who looks like an R2 unit without the uh, casing, and, mm. um, you know, sort of like what I was telling Swank. It's like when you go to the R2 builder's mm. room at the convention, they always mm. have a display of an R2 unit without the panels and stuff, so you can sort of see the innards of it. That's yeah. kind of like what Bucket who's, reminds me of. Who's the main, who's the main droid in, in, um, in Resistance, the guy that looks like the pilot from the old Star Tours? Do you know what his name is yet? Well, we know I, I know Bucket is the astromech. Um, right. I'm, I'm, I, I don't know about the uh, the other droid. That the, one. the main the main pilot guy, you know, because he's he's clearly just pulled from the guy who was on the Star Tours ride, wasn't he? Same look. Yeah, I don't. Uh, that one, I don't mm. know. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that mm. character. I, mm. I, I did not go through this promo video and like freeze frame <laughs> everything. No, like, like I, I often did. do. <laughs> um, but like now I'm doing it <laughs> as we're I doing the show. The nice, um, um, uh, Nilo Rodas Dumero speeder bikes and stuff. I was like, Oh cool. I saw you did That's post cool. up something like that mm. where you, you hold it, hold it in the Jedi concepts. Yeah. Just popped up. Right. So. You showed that with, uh, return of the Jedi speeder bikes, uh, mm. next to a frame from the TV show mm. from resistance. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, all right, Paul. Um, so like, like I said, be tuning in to Star Wars Resistance for childlike fun and adventure. Unleash your inner <laughs> 10-year-old. And that's what mm-hmm. we do quite often here on Rebel Force Radio. <laughs> hey, it's James Arnold Taylor, the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I must tell you, the source for the Force is Rebel Force Radio, your source for the Force. The Force is strong here indeed. Do you remember that white dress I wore all through the first film? I mean, unless you didn't see Star Wars, in which case, why are you here? (laughs) So they put the dress on me the first day. They bring me to George, takes one look at me, and he says, you can't wear a bra underneath that dress. So I say, why? He says, because there's no underwear in space. (laughs) And the man said it was such conviction, too, you know? Now, let me tell you, I always thought that Me Undies was that really cool underwear brand with the fun, crazy psycho prints on it, but it wasn't until I actually tried them that I realized that, holy crap, they are seriously, seriously the most comfortable thing I've ever worn. I love Me Undies. Guys and gals, listen closely because I'm going to tell you 
why me undies are the best underwear that you'll ever try. They use a micromodal fabric, which is a full three times softer than regular cotton. I couldn't believe how soft these things were. MeUndies is great. They release multiple fun prints each and every month for guys and girls, including other accessories like great matching socks. You can even get a matching pair with your partner. With a 100% satisfaction guarantee, you're going to love Me Undies. But if you're not into it, send them back for a full refund. But I know you won't, because when you visit MeUndies.com slash RFR, you're going to be a fan for life. And Me Undies makes it easy, because they just launched a brand new membership program. You can level up your top drawer with new undies each and every month. Members gain access to exclusive prints that no one else gets. They get special member pricing on every product Me Undies makes, and you can switch styles or skip any month you want. But do not hesitate because Rebel Force Radio listeners have a solid in with Me Undies. For any first time Me Undies purchasers in the Rebel Force Radio listening audience, when you purchase any Me Undies, you get 15% off and free shipping. And it only happens when you visit MeUndies.com slash RFR to get your 15% off your first pair, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go to MeUndies.com slash RFR. That's MeUndies.com slash RFR. All right, joining us now, Lisa Dullard from Illinois, longtime Star Wars fan. How's it going, Lisa? Oh, it's, it's going good. Now, fans of following Star Wars on the Internet probably recognize Lisa's name as a, a writer for the Coffee with Kenobi website. Uh, what, what do you write about with Coffee from Kenobi? Uh, well, I, I write the uh, odd review, product review, book review. Um, I've written a blog or two. I'm mostly the... Uh, media specialist and senior editor so kind of behind the scenes stuff got it for the website and uh-huh. you know. correcting uh misspellings and uh formatting yes. and so so uh lisa the reason we wanted to bring you on board is i've been following your story <laughs> <laughs> um ever since solo was released in may i couldn't believe how often it would pop up in my Facebook feed that you were going to see Solo again at the movie theater. And listen, it's it's no big deal for Star Wars fans to go see the Star Wars films multiple times at the cinema. But how? tell us first, how many times have you seen Solo in the theater? Uh, 20. 20. So an even 20. Was that a goal for you? <laughs> 20? <laughs> Was that like, did you say when Solo came out, you said, I'm going to see this thing 20 times? Well, I usually, for Star Wars movies, I usually top out around five. Right. That, that was my plan. And, but Solo, it surprised me how much I love the movie. And then it saddened me to see how many people opted out of the movie. And over time, I just, 
I had such a good experience each time I went to see the movie. It never got old for me. So I just decided to keep going as long as I kept (laughs) theaters would get rid of it. I'd find a new theater to go to. I'd go to that one a couple times and I'd find another theater. That's wicked. Yeah. And I actually stopped at 20 just because it left. Jesse, you were, (laughs) yeah, it wasn't your decision to stop going. So it's, so it's completely out of all of the local theaters now. It's, it's not, I, I think it's, it might still be showing at the Bruin view at the Vic theater on the North side. So there's a little tip there for you. Oh, you know, who's calling me right now? Star Wars artist, Lawrence Noble. Um, and, uh, and, and I love, I love Lawrence Noble. He's a great guy. I'm going to have to call him back. I'm going to text him and say, sorry, I can't pick up your call right now. Cause usually I just drop everything to talk to, to Mr. Noble. But, uh, that's so funny. He's reaching out to me. I was, um, I was just thinking about giving him a call because he's featured in the latest Star Wars Insider mm. magazine. I yeah, have not cool. seen the article yet. Now, of course, oh, for mm. everyone listening, if you don't know who Lawrence Noble is, all I have to say to you is Yoda Fountain in front of Lucasfilm. Lawrence mm-hmm. is the guy who sculpted that. And he's a brilliant artist and he's an old friend of mine and the show and uh, just what a great guy. So I'm, I'm really curious to know what he wanted to talk about. And I feel really bad about not picking up his mm-hmm. call. So I'm going to text him and say, Paul Bateman told me to blow you off. <laughs> <laughs> See, one of these, one of these days we're going to have to share. I have some video footage. If we went with Larry wants to uh, his local foundry mm-hmm. and uh, when he was sculpting a Darth Maul statue, and it was uh, it's quite amazing to see them kind of paint it up and, and get it all looking nice because the process he uses when he uses does bronzes involves lots of fire. So it was like seeing Darth Maul be born out of fire. It's quite amazing to watch. I think they're so great got, photos of but, that whole process online. Yeah, we put we put a few up, but we've got loads of video that we've not got around to posting because it's like an old format. I need to convert it and put it up. So, but let's get back to solo and the world record <laughs> of 20 times, because listen, let, let me tell you, like I said, it's no big deal for us Star Wars fans to go see the movies multiple times. I mean, that's what put the original Star Wars on the map was everyone went to go see it over and over and over again. Summer of 77. Mm. I probably have seen the original Star Wars screened in a proper movie theater over 20 times, but it's taken me like 40 something years to do that. <laughs> okay. And also like, you, like you, you're just, you're just playing at it. See, Lisa's a proper fan. What? <laughs> you know, you, you do your show and everything. This is not a serious, competition. If you were serious about this, it would be a priority for you. And you would have already like, you'd be talking Lisa numbers for solo by now. How many I times Paul, did you see solo in the theater? About four times. Four times. I saw it. Yeah. I only <laughs> I saw it three times. I was working. I only saw it three times, which is way under my average. Now, during the prequel era, I saw the films probably a dozen times during their mm-hmm. initial runs, all three of them. The sequel era, I've seen The Force Awakens. I saw that maybe seven times. I saw The Last Jedi five times. And uh, Rogue One five times. But Solo, I only saw three times, and I don't know why that is. But uh, you saw it 20 times in its initial run. And again, like I said, I don't think that there's a Star Wars movie I saw 20 times in its initial run. I think I've seen Empire and A New Hope 20-plus times being screened in a proper movie theater. But 
again, that was release, re-release, special edition release, mm. charity screenings, you name it, over, over the course of like four decades. But Lisa saw Solo 20 times. Are you aware, Lisa, of anyone else who has seen Solo as many times as you did? I think on Twitter there was somebody who was at around 19. Okay, but that's only 19. That's not yeah, 20. <laughs> I don't know if they made it any more after that. And I can't remember where that person was from. Uh-huh. So I don't know if it was here in the U.S. or overseas or, or what. But somebody commented that they were at 19. They might have surpassed me by now. Who knows? No, I no, would, I would no, have loved to seen it that, that often. I'm just, I'm really interested in what you know. I can think of a million reasons myself, but what was, what was the thing that kept you going back, Lisa? Was there anything I, specific, you know? I mean, because you're a huge Star Wars fan to begin with, so obviously you'd be naturally inclined to really like this movie. But what's mm. what's what pushes Solo over the top for you when you compare it to the uh, what nine other Star Wars films that are out there? Um, oh gosh, you know, it's really funny because I wasn't excited about the movie when it was announced Hmm. and even in the run up to it, I wasn't because Han Solo was never one of my favorite characters. So I liked Han Solo, but I didn't feel connected to him in any way. So when the movie was announced, I was like, all right, well, Han Solo movie. Okay. I was always going to see it because it's Star Wars. You know, there's no way I would not see a Star Wars movie in the theater. Right. But, uh, you know, I was like, all right, well, whatever. And then I found myself sort of defending it online before it even came out because I could see there was already a lot of resistance to it. And I thought, well, let's all just wait and see when the movie Mm -hmm. comes out and then you can judge, you know. So the movie and Alden Ehrenreich and just comments and I was just like, ah, you know, give the movie a chance. So I had the opportunity to go to a press screening uh, May 14th. And I was like, well, that's cool. I've never done this. I get to go downtown be all fancy and important and uh i got there and i got my seat and i sat down and wasn't really my expectations were nil really and i just sat there and the movie unfolded and i left and i felt euphoric Mm. i was most excited about a star wars movie after seeing solo than i was any of the the sequel movies or the prequels i mean this goes back to the original trilogy the way that solo makes me feel and over the 20 times I saw it, that feeling never waned. You know, I, know I wasn't sitting there halfway through the movie. I'm like viewing number 17 thinking, why am I sitting here watching this movie? <laughs> 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 you know, like, what am I doing I, here? What yeah. am I doing here? How did this happen? Yeah. I need yeah. to go home and rethink my life. but i but i was always very excited about it and i always found something new to look at i would focus on different characters or different scenery or you know i would sometimes i would just pay attention to the reaction from the audience because the later i got into the screenings the more i noticed that there were new people coming in to see the movie who you know waited until the end of july august to go see it i was curious about their reactions and they all seemed to really enjoy it which made me very happy. But I, I'd be driving to the movie theater and I'd be listening to the soundtrack and just excited. I'm going to see Solo again. Wow, that's mm-hmm. great. Now, how did you feel about The Last Jedi? Obviously very divisive and everyone has an opinion on it. What's your opinion of it? I love The Last Jedi. Okay. So that that I, obviously the, the, there's no effect there on, on your outlook as far as Solo goes. Because, you know, it, it has been said that people stayed away from the theater due to the fact that they 
didn't like The Last Jedi, and so they didn't want to give another Star Wars movie a chance. So is, is, for someone who's seen the movie 20 times, how do you feel about that kind of backlash? Um, you know, I, most of the people that I know like The Last Jedi, but I, I know that people, some people don't, and I know I believe Paul's not the biggest fan of The Last Jedi. I, I'm I'm going to see a hypnotherapist very soon, try, trying to raise it from my brain. <laughs> oh, not not to be melodramatic or anything, but yeah. you know. he's going to have to go see Doctor Ball and uh, <laughs> and yeah, get a, a shot of whatever he's serving up. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't want to go too far, but like I definitely prefer the Ewok movies. Oh, holy crap! <laughs> I wish I was joking. <laughs> no one ever said prefer an Ewok movies in the same sentence mm. ever before. So congratulations yeah. on breaking new ground. Um, mm. But no, you know, like I said, it's divisive. I don't want to sit here and pretend like it's not. I have my own feelings about The Last Jedi, and I, I don't condemn it like other people do. But, sir, you know, something about hearing that Episode Nine is going to be it for the Skywalker saga um, makes me look at The Last Jedi maybe a little more critically because I feel like the time is so valuable now. And me and Paul were talking earlier in the show about the introduction of new characters being played by guys like uh, Matt Smith and Dominic Monaghan and everything. And we're like, well, wait a second. This is going to take the spotlight away from the characters whose stories really need to be concluded in this film. And uh, so I, I'm looking at like every second now of the sequel trilogy as being extremely valuable. And um, with the solo film, I don't know if that kind of anxiety ever came into play with me. The things I really needed to see in the solo movie was uh, Han acquiring the Falcon in that card game against Lando. I needed to see Han and Chewie meeting up. I, it just all the things you've heard about Solo. His experience in the Imperial Navy and things things of that nature. The Kessel Run. These are things that I felt were essential to a Han Solo origin film. And I probably would have been really upset if any one of those elements got ignored. Uh, but thankfully, Solo, uh, you know, they, they came through with us and, and gave us all of those important moments in Han's past. Uh, was there any part of the movie there out of those, uh, what I would say, essential moments uh, that really stuck out to you as being maybe your favorite, most well-told element of Han's origin? Or, uh, or was there something that you felt might have missed the mark I, I know you're not going to say anything Mr. Mark you saw the movie 20 times for Carnella. but what, what was your like your your favorite moment about Han's origin um I really enjoyed the the way that he met Chewbacca I thought that was a, a really that it was unexpected I wasn't I, even when he said there's a beast you know <laughs> they're dragging him off yeah throw him into the thing <laughs> I was still surprised that it was Chewie I wasn't really expecting it I wasn't I expecting Han to speak Wookiee. I'll tell you that. I was not expecting that. Because yeah. he never had in the past. Um, but, you know, those those long trips through hyperspace get a little boring, so I'm sure they had many conversations <laughs> in Wookiee after that. Well, he said, I speak a little, so he only knew yeah. how to say a few things. It was, yeah, and it was he was trying to save his life. So... You figure. I mean, Chewie was going to kill him, <laughs> most likely. Yeah. So probably speaking Wookiee to him, you know, I can't pronounce. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the language because I'm going to screw it up. I didn't know but, humans could actually legitimately speak Wookiee, but now we know. Yeah. 
<laughs> and we know from the translation he's not really good at it. I mean, me have plan of breakout. I mean, it was yeah. You know, so it was I, I, baby talk. I, I kind of like the fact that, like, you know, Alden made that work in the same way that Harrison would make things work sometimes because he just committed so much to that. You know, like he just looked at it like, like what? Like I'm speaking Wookiee, like handle it, you know. And so uh, nobody that I was with when we went to see it like, had a problem with that at all. Everybody just laughed and went with it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, yeah, I loved Alden. I immediately went like, this guy is solo. He's not Harrison, but he's definitely... He just immediately owned it for me. Within about five minutes, I think everybody was aboard in the crowd that I was with. Everybody oh, just like, liked him, you know. Yeah, I was I was completely sold on him from the first mm. that we saw him behind the speeder. I thought, yeah, that's Han Solo. He he did an absolutely remarkable job of of something that seemed to be an impossible task. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. it, it seemed effortless, really. Mm. Mm. I think he he really did his homework. And studying the character and what he needed to do and did this performance without impersonating Harrison Ford in any way because yeah. he's mm-hmm. not playing Harrison Ford. He's playing Han Solo. I know a lot of people <laughs> thought he was playing Harrison Ford or supposed to be playing Harrison Ford, but he's not. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. Harrison Ford is not Han Solo. He's playing a character. What? But no, I, that's Han, Han Solo is Harrison Ford and so is Indiana Jones. They're the same characters. <laughs> no, no, I, yeah. I, you know, no, Indiana, jo- Indiana Jones is real. That's a documentary. It's, <laughs> it's totally. Actually, Star Wars is a documentary too. So we've not, we've just not found out yet. I, I'm, right. I'm convinced that eventually they'll, they'll reveal to us that it was all true. Well, Lisa, I'm sure you're, you're <laughs> counting down the days until you can go and buy the novelization, uh, which is going to. Oh, hit. I, just, I just got it in the mail today from Del Rey. So did I got I. a nice little advanced reader's copy, so I'm very excited. I'm flipping through it right now because I'm looking for the moment, the I, moment. Where's mine? That's not on. Well, you know, how come I got left out? Ship it overseas to you. <laughs> um, I'm looking for the moment, though, and you know what I'm talking about is when Darth Maul showed up. Mm-hmm. What was your initial reaction to seeing that go down? Oh, I was surprised. Oh yeah, we all were surprised. Yeah, that wasn't. I wasn't expecting that at all. I'm surprised that never leaked. I was expecting. I'm surprised that one didn't leak. When you consider the world premiere for the movie was two weeks prior to it hitting theaters. Right. I am shocked that that little Mm. bit of info did not leak from anyone. Yeah, I I rang Sam immediately and just went, oh, man, you're good at keeping your mouth shut. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, we we didn't get a whiff of that. Not a whiff. No, no, or not so much as a whiff. Yeah. So I'm flipping through the book, and I'm trying to find that moment. Because from what I understand, and if it's okay, um, spoiler alert, all right? This is a Mm -hmm. big spoiler. (laughs) Oh, I I found it. I found it. Um, I almost want to read it. (laughs) But I don't know. I I think it's it's only one page. Um, Or was it two pages? The leader of Crimson Dawn, the true leader. uh, Red eyes from underneath the hood. Um, But from what I understand, and this is spoiler, Kira does not know Darth Maul. When she contacts him, that's the first time that the two of them have really made any sort of connection. Okay. And I'm trying to find proof of that here in the um, in the novel because mm. in the film I was under the impression that they had known each other and worked together 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, but it says, it says, he pulled back his hood and Kira saw him for the first time. He was an older Zabrak with scars and wrinkles on his red and black lined face. His horns were short and surrounded his head like a crown. He shifted his chair and Kira saw the metallic glint of an artificial limb under the robe. So she doesn't know who he is as far as the book is concerned. Uh, I certainly hope that we are going to see this little story thread get extended in some kind of Star Wars film. But mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. Or maybe even in like the live action series uh, or something. I just I just hope that I thought that if, if Solo was the huge success, I was hoping it was going to be. You know, I was thinking like, well, we're going to get three movies, aren't we, at least? And the second one will focus on Bobo, the yeah. third one will focus on Jabba the Hook. But it'll, it'll essentially be a solo trilogy. But we'll get like a Boba Fett movie and a Hook movie that way. You know, so I was I was kind of heartbroken, really, that it didn't go there. Because it would have seemed like a no-brainer to me, this whole kind of like an underworld trilogy. You know, and I almost feel like they could have called it like, you know, Star Wars, Star Wars Underworld movie one solo, you know, and then movie two, Boba. You know what I mean? I just carry all the characters through, but just keep shifting the focus and the point of view. You know, and I think they, I think they earned a sequel. I think, you know, I mean, obviously, you feel the same way, Lisa, having watched it twenty times. You know, but but I just kind of felt like it. They really made a good Star Wars movie that felt that hit that line of feeling old and familiar, which is kind of what a lot of fans really, really want. You want it to feel like the OT. I think many, many fans feel that way, um, but you don't want it to be kind of like boring and unoriginal you need you need that freshness too and i think like it hit that mark perfectly for me i just kind of felt like yeah this feels like new old i love it you know yeah and alden did sign on for three films yeah so i'm, I'm hoping that they make use of him somehow right mm. it's whether it's in you know the, the rumored boba fett movie if they bring han solo into the boba fett movie if that ever happens or the or a, something on mm. the streaming service Anything, because he was so good, and it would be yeah. such a shame to lose that. Mm. I, I predict we will see him as Han Solo again. When and where, I have you no think? idea. Yeah, I do. I, I almost, I almost feel like you know, maybe this, you know, maybe he should have gone for a TV show. But I mean, that would have been a big risk, wouldn't it? Starting a starting a yeah, solo TV series without being certain how the fans are going to receive somebody new playing him, you know. All right, but, here uh, we I mean, go. Unlike, unlike you, Lisa, I'm actually a huge fan of the original Solo, and he was my favorite character, my favorite Star Wars character. So, I, so I, I did go into this kind of going, eh, it's going to be tough for this to really work. And you know, and even though I saw Alden at Celebration Europe and thought he really had something special, so I was open to it, but I was still kind of quietly a little, a little cynical. So for me to like five minutes in go, go like, wow, it's Solo, you know, I definitely thought yeah they've got to do more with this guy so oh yeah his his performance really made me because i mean now if you asked me before like my top 10 or 15 Mm. favorite characters han solo wouldn't even wouldn't even have rated anyway wow wow now he's Mm. like number three wow (laughs) right were you you like were you really rooting for a salacious crumb trilogy is that what you think (laughs) (laughs) that's really amazing though to hear about your the the way your appreciation of the character has evolved so much just from this one film i mean obviously this is a star wars character who's uh absolutely legendary and and uh been known to fans for 40 plus years appeared in four films and the the holiday special most importantly but (laughs) but i mean you know he has uh he 
definitely has claimed ownership of the character Harrison Ford has, uh, even if he doesn't want to. Um, (laughs) It's hard to to separate Han Solo from Harrison Ford. But uh, there was just something about Alden that really did it for you huh? and really expanded the character. And I think he did a really great job myself. What did you think of Childish Gambino Lando? Childish Gamlando. Is that that stuck on you? No. But uh, how did you like him? I liked, and it was interesting because I've I've never really seen Donald Glover in much of anything. Um, I, so I'm not I'm not really that familiar with his music. I haven't seen him, you know, his TV show or anything like that. So I really he was an unknown quantity to me. They both were Alden and Donald. Mm-hmm. So you know, going into it, I was like, I, well, I really haven't seen either one of these guys do anything. <laughs> so it was it was an interesting perspective, you know the. Because everybody, I know everybody was very excited about Donald Glover, and I sort of felt like, oh gosh, I don't even really know who he is, and I felt kind of bad, like I should. But I really thought he did a great job too. Yeah, he was fantastic. So yeah. uh, going back to the novelization, though, and this is again spoiler alert. Um, here's confirmation about the the relationship between Kira and Darth Maul uh, in this line. Um, Well, it says in here that she had seen him once before. Yes. In truth, she had only ever seen him once, and that experience had been terrifying enough. So, uh, relationship between Darth Maul and Kira, uh, virtually non-existent, essentially. Interested in why Maul wanted her to meet up in Dathomir, and he sort of was like, yeah, you're, you know. We're just going to get going here. You're just getting started. (laughs) Why the interest in Kira? And uh, what do you think, Lisa, about rumors that Kira and Han could potentially be the parents of Ray? Oh, no, no. You don't see it. And, and no. so well, you're, no. you're quick to say no. So no. why do you think that that would be off the table? Because I, I, I believe what was said in The Last Jedi, that her parents weren't anybody, mm-hmm. really. You know, and I'm not sure how how would that work with Han and Kira to be. I mean, that's because she's raised what twenty, nineteen, twenty. Yeah, something. I like mean, that, right? And there's what? How many years between? Uh, what twenty, thirty years between the two yeah. trilogies? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I don't know. I don't see the two of them, Han and Kira, getting together. <laughs> so you know. And having I just, it just doesn't it seems very far fetched to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I just don't. I don't see it. <laughs> well, I have you know me and Paul. We have the book here, the art of uh, Solo, and mm-hmm. uh, we have a few minutes left here. I, I just wanted to flip through it real fast with Paul, and then maybe we'll get a little more in depth on the next episode of Star Wars influences. But uh, there are a few things here that I wanted to uh, get Paul's take on. And uh, Lisa, if there's anything that you saw in the book that maybe you'd want to bring up to Paul, now would be a good time to do that too. Um, No, I don't want to talk about that. I have all these little bookmarks that, (laughs) but they're they're just like pieces of ripped up newspapers. So it's kind of, but what, why are you figuring that out? I'll, I'll burn through a couple of bits that kind of popped into my head, which is one of the things that I thought was really interesting about this book was just finding out that they very clearly had started working on Solo properly before they started on The Force Awakens. Yes. Which for me is really interesting because I kind of think, well, were they thinking that maybe Solo could be the first new movie? 
You know, was that where they were no, coming from? No, I don't think so, because obviously at that time, Michael Arndt was working out of Skywalker Ranch on Episode 7. And Lawrence Kasdan was brought in. You know, it, it was like, what do you mm. want to do, Larry? What, what do you want to do yeah. in Star Wars? Like, well, <laughs> I, I always wanted to tell a story about Han Solo. I mean, it's like, okay, Larry, you go do that. <laughs> go do that, and let's see what you can knock out of the park. And then when Michael Arndt got his walking papers and J.J. Mm. Abrams made the determination that he needed to completely revamp the script for Episode Seven. He knew he needed help, and so Kasdan then was drafted. He was pulled off Solo and mm. placed onto The Force Awakens. And then when The Force Awakens was over, they said, all right, Larry, well, uh, let's get you back on the Solo thing. And he's like, wait, you still want to do the Solo movie? What? And you still want to do it? And so... As <laughs> <laughs> uncanny I have all those recordings just to hand. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, right, technology, right? <laughs> And yeah. so um, so then he was just exhausted from working on The Force Awakens, and that's how John Kasdan got brought in to help really flesh out uh, the uh, work that had already been done on the solo script. And what I like is that it had a working title when they first started putting it together mm. of uh, Harry and the Boy, which is eventually turned into a line from the film. Right. Mm. Except they spelled Harry, H-A-R-R-Y. I thought it was like Harry as in he's a hairy guy. And I know it's a play on the, you know, thing, but I was just surprised to see it's, you know, spelled H-A-R-R-Y in this book over and over again. Harry and the boy. Mm. I thought it was like H-A-I-R-Y, but whatever. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's kind of what he called the, the movie when he was working on it, Harry and the boy. Mm. And uh, so it just kept evolving. Um, and, and you see the evolution of a lot of different concepts and a lot of different ideas. Uh, even going back to uh, an early drawing of young Han Solo that was created for potential use in The Revenge of the Sith. But that yeah, we, do we dodged a bullet there, didn't we? <laughs> we really did. I mean, I didn't want to see kid solo, you know. What about you, no, Lisa? No, no, no. I mean, Lisa, you, you're, you know now completely enamored with the character of Han Solo. Is that a story you'd like to hear about? Is it something about Han's childhood? Uh, possibly. Mm -hmm. Maybe in a comic book or a book. I don't really see it as, as anything to, to, you know, for TV or certainly not for a film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe so, but it might be something interesting to explore in, you know, book form. I wouldn't be opposed to it. Just as long as mm -hmm. he doesn't yell yippee all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'm just flipping through uh, the book here, trying to look for anything really out of the ordinary. I was loving it. This is the one Star Wars art of book that has more kind of, you know, where they've clearly referenced wet dogs a lot. You know, oh. cause there's so many pictures of Chewie where I'm like, whoa, what's going on there with his hair? You know? <laughs> well, then how about the amazing concept painting on page 90 that shows Han and Chewie in the cockpit? Of the Falcon. Han is yeah. Han's, staring at that one right the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Open to that. <laughs> I love that picture. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, uh, Chewie after he'd, he'd abused a blow dryer, right? And so his hair is all puffed up and standing uh -huh. straight up. It's like me in the 80s. That's basically, that was, you know, when, the, when I still thought crimping irons were, uh, were cool. 
you know. Yeah, me, me with hairspray in the 80s. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. But it just looks like a lot of different ideas were being thrown out there to see what would stick. Yeah. And that's how I love the development of Star Wars is when the artists really just start throwing mm. stuff up against the wall. And, you know, George Lucas would do uh, reviews with the art crew and stuff. And, and that would really, a lot of times, sort of dictate things that ended up in the final story were just mm. things that he saw the art department creating. And uh, you see so many elements of things that never ended up in the final film. So there were just concepts to spare, obviously. Mm. And, Loads you know, of blue sky stuff. Yes. I, I, I think that if you compare this to, the, to the, um, the two books that we had for The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi... And the, and the Rogue One book too. I mean, it's it's you know the different people worked on each movie, and obviously there's a common thread of a handful of people that keep coming back. But but I think out of all the new books, this is the one that really stood out to me as having the most quality art. And I kind of felt like looking through it, there's a there's a high level of good design. I I, I, I could see that there were probably more new guys working on this one than the than the other movies for a start off. There's a lot of new faces. There's a lot of artists who I was already familiar with from not working on Star Wars, but working on other stuff, a lot of kind of mainstream, like UK comic artists and, and whatever, you finally got a Star Wars gig for the first time on Solo. So for me, I looked at this and went, yeah, I'd have employed about half these guys. I could totally see why they were brought aboard. Where on the sequel trilogy books, I kind of felt like a lot of the people I didn't know they were. And, you know, and it was good work, but, but like the Solo book, it just felt, I don't know, it felt really solid. There's a lot of artwork in there where I kind of go, yeah, this could have gone straight to screen. You know, where I kind of feel like with the sequel trilogy, they're still sort of struggling to find a new a new way of expressing Star Wars, a new way of representing Star Wars. But I kind of feel like Solo just dropped straight back into that. You know, this is just before the original trilogy, so we kind of know where we are. We need to maybe kind of set it in the 60s rather than the 70s. And, you know, mm-hmm. but there's so much good art in here and so many great artists. You I'm know? kind of fond uh, of looking at these concepts for Dryden Voss's yacht. Yeah. Did you see the one that's the um, oh, what do you call it? What's the what's the species? The uh, I forget what they call him now. Same as Zeb, that guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so going back then to Dryden Voss himself, yeah, um, mm. a lot of different alien creature designs were considered for him, and uh, one of them is Zeb, uh, or yeah. uh, uh, he would be a Lasat, is what yeah, he would have been. That's the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and that yeah, was. Look, uh, Love the version that they have in here because it's like a fully realized, practical Lasat that looks real. You know, I think Ralph would have loved that because it, it kind of they brought a real sense of life to him. Mm, you know, yeah. it really looked alive. You know, well, yeah, love, you I see three D sculpture here and uh, yeah, and all, all kind of cool. Yeah, Zeb mm. from Rebels, uh, which of course was a nineteen seventy five Ralph McQuarrie pre production design concept design for Chewbacca, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, so they got. Uh, it, let's talk about the Macquarie stuff in Solo that we can see in this book, since you are the Ralph Macquarie guy, Paul. Uh, we're just yeah. going to call you Macquarie Man from now on. That's your superhero <laughs> designation. That's a badge of honor. But there's, there's, a, there's a hidden Macquarie reference, and uh, it's hidden in the strangest of places. Lando's shirt at the end of the movie. Lando- oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of the early skiff designs or the, the early Chabas Barge. So, yeah, yeah at the end of the film, when Han wins the Falcon from Lando, uh-huh. finally, uh, Lando's yeah. wearing a, the Star Wars equivalent of a Hawaiian shirt. And yeah. if, if you look closely, uh, it has a repeating design, and it's a, a starship-type skiff 
bird-like wings and Mm -hmm. uh, flying with uh, twin suns behind it. And that Mm -hmm. just became the repeating design for Lando's yellow Hawaiian shirt that you see him in the end of the film. And that was created by Ralph McQuarrie. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one jumped out at me. There, there were a few. There were a few in here where I, I kind of go, "Oh yeah, look, finally." There were a few, like um, sort of early prototype models and stuff. Like Campwell designs were going to make the final cut that that finally didn't. Weren't there? There was going to be a Campwell Star Destroyer that was That's that right, was planned yeah. to be. And I think yeah. it's in here somewhere. Colin so, was talking but, uh, about it on Facebook. And yeah, then, uh, he was he was disappointed to know that uh, mm-hmm. that starship design actually got cut from the final film. <laughs> actually see it a little bit in that recruitment video oh can you really yeah yeah you can see uh, when Han's trying to hide from everybody on in the spaceport right right recruitment video where the you know the imperial march is playing and whatnot you see a star destroyer and you do see briefly that design in there there, but it's it's really it's quick see that's that that kind of that kind of observation is exactly why Lisa's here because <laughs> the, the film yeah. has, I mean the film has been out of the theaters now for a little while I only saw it three times it's the, the movie is totally not committed to my memory like all the other Star mm. Wars movies are and so that little attention to detail right there that that's exactly why you're here Lisa so thank you so yeah. much <laughs> Oh sure, it took it took me a few times to notice it. I didn't notice it right away, but then I, bought, I actually bought the little Hot Wheels version that they came out with. Oh, yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I was like, t- oh, this is such a cool looking design. I have to have this. And, mm-hmm. and then shortly after that, I was really paying more. It's when I was looking at sort of the background stuff in the movie because I'd already seen it like you know ten, eleven times by that point. <laughs> and I was like, oh look, there's there's the little ship right there. So yeah, you do see in it like it's like a hologram type um, recruitment uh, video that Han sees. Wow! Wicked. Okay, I, I kind of felt like I felt like um, I liked a lot of the. Um, as soon as I started noticing the the EU nods, that was when I got fully invested. It was like, oh, we're starting to feel a bit Brian Daly, you know, <laughs> like like little you know kind of blue skulls and. Uh, Things like that started showing up, and as soon as the words "mimban" were uttered by somebody, I was like, ah. you know, <laughs> "Totally, totally happy about that." What, what I noticed for, for fans of um, the the um, uh, Tales of the Jedi comic, which I know there's a there's a handful of us out there that are crazy about that, and I, you know, I've long said that I'm, it's one of my favorite favorite pieces of Star Wars EU, and I'd love for them to do like uh, um, Tales of the Jedi style kind of movie or TV show, but the, the, they finally have put Exar Kun into this as canon because there's actually, well, in as far as the design goes anyway, that there's a table mm-hmm. in Dryden's office that apparently is part of um, a stone from uh, from the temple of Exar Kun. Right. So I thought that was kind of really cool that he's finally kind of making the mix somehow. You know, right. there's a little bit of um, Tales of the Jedi in Solo. So. Tales of the Jedi. And, of course, he uh, Exar yeah. Kun uh, was a big-time player in the... Uh, Kevin J. Anderson Jedi Academy trilogy, so mm. novels, comics, mm. and now uh, in the in the film, and those uh, those old tales of the Jedi, I, I think, are, are perfect fodder for some sort of animated feature or series or something mm. uh, where we see like really ancient Jedi. I guess nowadays it would be you know the the old Republic games uh, that would really sort of fuel. Yeah fuel that mm. but uh, any sort of nods to those old dark horse comics from the 90s definitely mm. yeah you get a high five from me on that one so mm. so the solo novelization as we said is hitting next week and there has been a trailer released for have you guys seen the trailer 
Yes, I posted it on our website uh, yesterday, and then I took screen caps of a bunch of images because, you know, mm. I don't have the movie <laughs> to yeah. look at anymore, so I have to look at <laughs> Well, what's notable yeah. about the trailer is uh, it does play up the fact that this is, uh, what, how do they call it? Um, oh, expanded edition. Okay. So the novel is an expanded edition of the film. And mm-hmm. in the trailer, we get our first glimpses at some deleted footage, you know, things that didn't make it into the final film. And one of the scenes that they show just so briefly was Han and Kira, uh, trying to hide in some sort of metallic type container that's filled with liquid. We don't know what it's all about. They're escaping from Proxima's gang at this point, at the beginning of the film. So we're going to have additional scenes that feature that, that getaway. Um, Also uh, the characters tag and bink. We're supposed Mm -hmm. to remember them from the dark horse comics. Oh yeah. They were Mm -hmm. supposed to be featured in one scene, at least, that we know of in Solo. So that may end up in the book. Mm-hmm. Maybe more of Han's career in the Imperial Navy. Yeah, I think we see how he washes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think we're going to see more with Emphy's Nest and her gang at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little mm-hmm. more detail about their association with the Rebellion. Right. And uh, and uh, how that all you know plays into the big picture. Uh, something I heard that also could be included in the book was a scene with Emphy's Nest and Saw Guerrera. Right. Have you heard about that, Lisa? You heard I've, about that? I've heard, I've heard it. Yeah. I think it was in an excerpt uh, released on StarWars.com, but I didn't. I didn't read any of the excerpts because I just wanted to wait for the book. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that was in. Yeah, one of the more re- I think they released like three different excerpts, and I think it was in the third one. Got it, got it. So th- there's going to be a lot to look forward to. Star Wars mm-hmm. novelizations that add so much bonus content really uh, prove their worth to uh, to fans. And uh, I-, I didn't get that much out of um, the Force Awakens. But the books that have since followed it, uh, the the Rogue One novelization certainly added a lot to that film. The Last Jedi had lots of sequences that didn't end up in the final film, and uh, now Solo is gonna Solo is really gonna stretch it out. Do we have any ideas to like how many deleted scenes are gonna end up on the Blu-ray? Has any of that information been leaked? Um, there's there's quite a few. I think there's like seven or eight, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot more of, of Han with the Imperial Navy. There's going to be a whole um, section of that. I think a little bit more on Corellia, which I love because I loved the whole Corellia thing. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, oh, shoot, we're only a couple of weeks away from that coming out. It comes out digitally on September 14th, and the Blu-ray gets released on the 25th. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, you're going to have to slam on that novelization, <laughs> and then you'll be ready for mm-hmm. the Blu-ray. And then, so, like, what are you going to do? Watch the Blu-ray once, Lisa? You've seen it so many times. It's just like, yeah, yeah I saw it in the theaters. I'm over it. I've yeah. seen it too many times now. It was, it was better in the theaters, yeah. I've already said I'm going to watch it every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh, no way. And then, wow. when, then when I die at my wake, I want to see the screen. So everybody has to sit there and watch it. Wow. That's amazing. 
That's amazing. That's hardcore. Oh. I, I remember the only time I've made a comment that that far reaching, you know, in terms of like, I'm going to watch this for the rest of my life. I remember talking to Stan, you know, a friend of Dreams and Visions Press. And uh, I said to him, you do realize, Stan, that I've looked at the art of Star Wars probably every day since 1977. And he just gave me this look that was just like, dude, you really need to get a life. <laughs> you know, like, no, I'm proud of it. It's like, no, it's kind of a sickness. I believe no. you. I have, I have my original copy of art of Empire Strikes Back that is completely falling apart. All the sheets are falling. Yeah. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's so well used, you know, mm. uh, looked at so many times. But okay, so you're going to be watching Solo every day. And uh, yeah. that's 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 really interesting. So we'll check in with you and make like maybe a couple of months and see if you've completely snapped or not. Yeah, um. <laughs> my, my, my father doesn't even know how many times I've seen Solo in the theater. He wow. likes me, and then I'll and I actually took him to see it with me one time. Yeah, and he, he enjoyed himself. He did have a good time. But uh, yeah, he he asked me this morning. He says how many because he knew I was going to be on the show, and he says so how many times did you see it? And I said, do you want to know? And he said, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. I have I have one of those Lisa where I remember like many many years ago my partner from long ago, but we had like our refrigerator broke down and I had like I'd literally had the money to buy a refrigerator and that was it, and uh, I went out to get a fridge and came home with the, the uh, Star Wars Chronicles book, like like and the fridge I just completely forgot about it because I just saw this book and went I can't leave you alone in that shop when I come back it might not be there you know. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, di- I did without cold milk for a long time <laughs> and, uh, and got some serious telling off. All right. I have a list of the deleted <laughs> scenes. Here's what we're going to see. Proxima's Den, Carillion Foot Chase, Han Solo Imperial Cadet, the Battle of Mimban, extended, Han versus Chewie, extended, Snowball Fight, Meet Dryden, extended, and Coaxium Double Cross. Well, so, hey, Lisa, that's cool. You're going to see more of that Han versus Chewie scene that you like so much. Yeah. Maybe Chewie speaks English to Han in that one. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Mm-hmm. Well, he's like, you know, and yeah. it's Peter Mayhew's voice. But there is some behind-the-scenes footage of, of him doing that, isn't there, when he's on top of the Falcon repairing <laughs> yeah, it in right, Empire. Right. I always yeah. remember. Well, where are you going? He says, uh, Mike. Yeah, he says about uh, Alec Guinness, he's like, that old man's mad. Yeah. <laughs> that old man's mad. You said it, Chewie. Boy, where did you dig up that old fossil? So that's good stuff. Uh, you so could, could, you could catch that. In my life. This one caused me. Oh, um, I'm hearing something. Okay. Um, sorry, I, I had some audio bleeding in from some ad or something. So, okay, well, you know what? I, I, I think we've, um, we'll probably come back to the art of book like I said, in a future episode of mm-hmm. Influences, if that's good with you, yeah. Paul. And oh, yeah, man. I've, so, got a long, I've got a long chat with me about that one. Good, sure. good. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So, And we'll, we'll just like dive really in depth at that point. And, I have uh, to watch it at least 20 times before we get there, though, because, you know, I just don't feel like I'm anywhere near as informed as Lisa. Oh, uh, I know. I know. That's why I, I felt like we really needed her expertise for this one. So you didn't let us yeah. down, Lisa. Oh, good. No. And so, Lisa, if people want to follow you online, do you still, uh, you used to go by the Jedi Pug moniker. Is that still your thing? I'm Jedi Pug pretty much everywhere, yeah. <laughs> okay. Creative. So on Twitter, I'm at Jedi Pug 1. Instagram, I'm Jedi mm-hmm. Pug 1. Uh, you know, Facebook. Um, you can, you know, reach me at uh, coffeewithkenobi.com. I'm Lisa D at coffeewithkenobi.com. Um, yeah, that's where you find me. 
20 times. That's the record. That's as far as I'm concerned, that's the the Rebel Force Radio record right there for most mm-hmm. times seeing solo in its initial release. And again, like I said, very common for Star Wars fans to go to the movie theaters multiple times to see a release, but I can't think of a single Star Wars film that I was able to go to 20 times in its initial release. So uh, for, the, for that, we, we celebrate you here. We celebrate you here. Yeah. Your, your efforts. Uh, yes. I, I always think about, you know, that moment when Alec Guinness met that kid. I don't know if you know about that story with a, with a little kid walked up to Alec Guinness and said, I've seen Star Wars like 50 times or whatever it was. And Alec Guinness said to him, like, well, you know, I'll sign this autograph on one condition, that you never see that movie again. And the kid's like, oh. you know, and I think, I think like, uh, you know, I could kind of understand where he was coming from. But I, I think Solo is one of those rare movies where I think 20 times is not unreasonable. I mean, obviously we're biased because we're Star Wars fans, but yeah. I think it's that good. I think it deserves it. I mean, when when Jimmy first told me you'd seen it like 20 times, Lisa, I thought, well, yeah, quite right. You know, I think <laughs> I think I think most like serious Star Wars fans would think that was perfectly reasonable. Oh, I, yeah, I think. I had a lot of people cheering me on. <laughs> really? Did you? Were you sponsored? Well, that, that's probably the way to do it, right? Could... Oh, man. I should have done that. Why did yeah, I... and you missed a trick. You could have gone like 40 times, couldn't you? Oh, gosh. You know, and to put it into context, to see, to go to the theater 20 times normally mm. would take me a couple years. Wow. Because yeah. I really don't make it that often. Right. So mm-hmm. really to go from May 14th to August 13th to be at the theater 20 yeah. Yeah, my my only badge of honor, at least, is to I saw the Force Awakens three times in two days on two different countries. Oh like, wow! And like flew, and I'd have watched it on the airplane if I could have, you know. <laughs> right. uh, I just looked up the schedule for the Brew and View at the Vic Theater, and it's no longer showing Solo. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm out. Oh wait, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. I should look at the website here. I'm just. Uh, no. Sunday the 18th, it appears, was the last screening of Solo mm. at the Bruin View. So, because uh, I, I was going to say, Lisa, you know, hey, let's just go for 21. I'll meet up with you over there and uh, yeah. we'll take in Solo one last time. But uh, I, I would have done that. Absolutely. Uh, well, it's not there no more. Well, we have two weeks to wait for the Blu-ray, so or the digital release, at least. So uh, it's so, going to be wild. Do you know, uh, you know, when the uh, with the digital release, did they go as full on with all the bonus material and stuff? Did they do as as many kind of bonus features? Yeah, and stuff? yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody, somebody said to me the other day. So I mentioned a DVD to somebody, and they were like uh, laughing. I was like, "What are you laughing at?" I was like, "You still have a DVD player?" I was like, "Well, no, I've got a Blu-ray player too." But they were talking in like uh, a granddad with a with a DVD player, you know. Oh, so, hang on a minute. I've still got a VHS player, you know. Old man <laughs> with your physical know. media. Three, yeah. Well, you, you know, it's a different experience, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's nothing quite like watching Star Wars with will it will it play all the way through without getting gnarled. <laughs> <No. Right. laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for this uh, review of uh, the art of Solo and uh, all the other cool things we talked about. All things Solo here. I'm glad we're getting back to talking about Solo because it just seems like we went through this whole summer without really taking many more deep dives other than the initial 
uh, than the initial release. So uh, I, this is good. This gets me revved up for both the novelization and the Blu-ray release. And, uh, and so we'll be talking a lot more about Solo here on Rebel Force Radio as September rolls along. So thank you again, Lisa Jedi Pug and Paul, <laughs> Paul Jedi Labrador Bateman. <laughs> Paul, you're more of a cat guy, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I like the Wolfies too. I'm a big fan. We'll call you Jedi Feline. Uh, so, <laughs> Jedi Mog. Well, thanks a lot, guys, and uh, yeah, thanks, thanks so much Thank for you. joining us. And, and we'll check back in with you, Lisa, after you've seen the uh, the home video release about mm. fifty times. So that'll probably be about a week after its release. Yeah, I'd say about a week. Yeah. Thanks for giving me an excuse to I can now talk to Athena about it, Lisa, and say like, "Well, Lisa's seen it twenty times, <laughs> so we can we can go again." <laughs> That's brilliant. It's normal. I'm not a freak. Lisa went twenty times. It's fine. Right. All right, yeah, Lisa. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for the great solo conversation. Thank you. You know, I'll tell you what, I'll be honest. That Chewbacca Tarzan yell is actually really starting to grow on me. I don't know. What a great week it's been for Rebel Forest Radio. So happy to have our special guest co-host riding in Chewbacca's shotgun seat for the entire show here as we pilot the Millennium Falcon through fandom. Paul Bateman, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Bateman. You can reach out to Paul Bateman. Hey, I'll tell you what. If you want to reach out to Paul Bateman, send us an email, show at rebelforestradio.com, subject line, Paul Bateman is awesome, and it'll get right to Paul Bateman, I guarantee it. Thank you so much to MeUndies. Visit MeUndies.com slash RFR for 15% off your first order. That's MeUndies.com slash RFR. Don't forget to get RFR All Access on Patreon, and you'll never miss an episode of our bonus content. We're releasing new content all the time, and uh, we have new episodes of RFR Q&A featuring uh, myself and loyal RFR Patreon listener Matt Rashid talking all things Star Wars. And if you're interested in hosting a show with me that all members of our Patreon audience will hear, join the RFR Q&A tier at patreon.com slash Radio. Also, you get episodes of RFR Rewind, uh, RFR Giveaways, Ringtone, so much more. We're really trying to put out new content all the time for our loyal listeners on Patreon. So if you can't get enough of the weekly Rebel Force Radio and you want to hear more from us, join Patreon now. And we thank all of our patrons for their support. If you want to email the show, float us an email, show at rebelforceradio.com, voicemail. We want to hear from you guys. 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. Follow us on Facebook for breaking news, links to stories, and great conversation at facebook.com slash Radio. And, of course, visit our official website, rebelforceradio.com, for episodes, news, merchandise, RFR t-shirts, and so much more. 
iTunes is a great place to listen to Rebel Force Radio. Subscribe and review, and remember to make it good. That's Rebel Force Radio on iTunes for the weekly RFR. And now, quite honestly, you can find RFR just about anywhere you find podcasts like WGN Plus, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, everywhere. You'll find us. RFR. I'd like to uh, once again thank Paul Bateman for writing Shotgun and our special guest, Lisa Dillard. So thanks again for listening, everyone in the RFR audience. Jason will be back next week to join me for more great Star Wars conversations. Thanks again to our uh, to everyone who downloads and listens to Rebel Force Radio each and every week. We love you all. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Always.